Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen Dimmitt, and my guest today is Kyle O'Meara. This was a really fun episode for me. I started climbing in Leavenworth, Washington, and Kyle was very heavily involved in the development of the area. He put up a lot of first ascents. He put up a lot of the boulders that I would walk past and marvel at and dream of climbing someday. He's done a lot of first ascents, and he's done a lot of development, not only in Washington, but in Tahoe and many other areas. Uh, this guy climbs hard. He's a total lifer. He's climbed V13. He's climbed 14B. He's still going hard in his late 30s, and he is also a successful climbing coach. He's coached a number of different teams around the country, and he spent several years coaching in Salt Lake City at the Momentum Climbing Gym. Some of the kids that he coached, who are no longer kids, include Dalton Bunker, Palmer Larson, and Nathaniel Coleman. And of course, Nathaniel Coleman is one of just four individuals representing our country at the Olympics this year. So Kyle is not only an impressive climber, but a very successful coach, and he's just an amazing guy. He's become a friend of mine, and he's just a great human being. So I really enjoyed this conversation, and we really just walked through Kyle's story. We talked about his trajectory through climbing, some of the first ascents that really stand out, some of the most meaningful routes that he's done and we dug into some of the characteristics and themes that he noticed amongst the kids that he coached that were some of the more successful ones. So I think many of you will find that interesting. And if any of the stories that he shared about climbs that he did, we talked about some of those first descents and films. If you're curious about any of that stuff, I did link to several short films in the show notes. So there's a great film of Kyle doing the first ascent of the crown jewel and uncut footage of him doing the low start to that and some of the other ones that we talked about. So be sure to check that out at thenuggetclimbing.com. If you would like to support the show, I would very much appreciate your patronage. I use Patreon. That is the main way that I have been getting support for the show, and that's what keeps the show going at this point. You can sign up to be a patron for $5 per month. There are a couple tiers that are higher than that, but $5 will get you in the door and will get you access to follow-up episodes with some of the guests that I've had on the show, some bonus content there. And you can get your questions featured in episodes. You'll hear some of those featured towards the end of this conversation. You can sign up for Patreon at patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing, or you can just go to the website at thenuggetclimbing.com and click on the support the podcast button at the top of the page, and that'll take you there as well. I really appreciate all the support so far. It really is a dream come true for me to have your support and to be able to continue the podcast, and I'm really excited about it. I've got a long list of guests that I can't wait to talk to. And sometimes it feels like the weeks can't go by fast enough because I just want to get to all these exciting guests. Anyway, a lot of good stuff coming. But in the meantime, please enjoy this conversation with boulderer, root climber, climbing coach, route setter, and all around amazing guy, Kyle O'Meara. I've had two or three people be like, do I really have to hold this? I'm going to get pumped. I'm supposed to climb. <laughs> Come on. I'm supposed to climb tomorrow. <laughs> Come on. 
I'm like, like you climb five fifteen, Jonathan. You don't need. You can hold a microphone for like an hour. Yeah. So good. I'll train it up. That's the mindset. Hold the mic. Yeah. Drop the mic. Well, um, I this is my sound check question. Even though I'm not sound checking anymore, I'm gonna ask you it anyway. What did you eat for breakfast this morning? Uh, this morning I ate some love crunch granola mixed berry with a banana in it. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> lovely splash of flax milk on there. So. Flax milk. Okay. I'm, I've been curious what you eat because all I've seen you eat at the crag so far is fruit and then day old pastries and baked goods from the river rock <laughs> i haven't seen you eat anything else i always have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich okay that i eat with my banana usually <laughs> and yeah i can't resist those day olds for whatever reason i've got in a bad habit of like stopping at river rock on the way to cragging days which is it a bad habit i mean you're super lean you're looking strong you're climbing well maybe a you bad get to habit. eat delicious baked goods it seems to all be working for you yeah, maybe. Could be the start of the decline of the, from the peak, though. You never know. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Going on a couple months now of this bad habit, quote unquote. I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing. At okay. Least, at least there's some value to like your heart feeling happy and, you know, nice pastry, pastries are good for that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Any other staples for you in your diet? Uh, I try to eat a lot of vegetables and... Um, I have kind of dabbled in a lot of experimentation surrounding my diet, whether that is trying out full on veganism for a period of time, um, or leaning more towards like a vegetarian thing. So I still eat some eggs. Um, and then I kind of like did the whole pescatarian thing for a little while where it's mostly vegetarian, some eggs and some fish sometimes kind of try to listen to my body. Mm-hmm to some degree anyway and like if i feel like i need something else i'll do it and if i go to dinner at someone's house and there's like red meat which i don't really eat i'm not really the type that's like yeah i don't eat that mm. i'll kind of like be like whatever and i guess that comes from the mentality of like well life's too short to like fully restrict myself mm. um, and i'm also a fairly lucky person i think to where most of what I eat doesn't seem to affect how I feel or like my output that much from what I can tell. I was going to ask that. Have you noticed any yeah. big changes either way, good you know, or bad with I, any of these experiments? I feel like no matter what I try, I go through this little period of being like, wow, th I feel better. I have more energy. Um, unless I'm maybe consuming too much food that's the only time I can feel like, oh, I'm like tired or lethargic or huh. I don't feel great or something like that. And I don't know if it's like what I'm eating or if it's how much I'm eating. There's like a fine balance to that and something that I pay a lot more attention to in the past year or two, um, just to be aware of like, what am I eating? How am I feeling myself? Like how much does it matter? And it's cool to experiment because it's something I'm not an expert in, but there's obviously a lot of a lot of like layers and value to, you know, how do you feel your body? Um, but I'm definitely lucky in the sense that I can go like a year of being like totally vegan and then eat like a hamburger and ice cream and be like totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't upset my stomach. I, I don't like feel wrecked. It's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I've been, I've been observing you keeping a food diary 
Yeah. I think that started because of sleep. Yeah. Have you, have you learned anything from doing that? Or where did that come from? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I've never struggled to sleep in my life. And for the past few months, I have for some reason. I, I haven't been able to stay asleep through the night. So I think a lot of it stems from just my mind feeling busy. And I've been, mm. like, really stoked on a lot of things and excited about new changes in my life and this new place that I'm in. Um you know, having moved to St. George and starting a new climbing team and just a lot of like new stuff happening. Um, excited about climbing. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll wake up at like two or three or four in the morning and not go back to sleep. Mm. And it was it was just this like nasty pattern I got in somehow. Um, and I was like surprisingly still feeling okay like quite good like i was like man i feel physically great i'm not sleeping at all like what is happening um and i started to kind of question like am i like going through some manic episode or something like that like how do i have so much energy huh. and such a like excited busy mind and yet i'm like not resting i'm not refueling um or recharging my muscles and stuff especially for like what my output looked like every day Hmm. Like a lot of social energy, a lot of emotional energy, a lot of physical energy every day. Um, so in an effort to be like, all right, I got to figure this out. I just started kind of like trying out different sleep aids like melatonin. I try, I've been trying like valerian root, um, magnesium, things that whatever I've heard like this should help. And so I'm like, why not try it? And one of my good friends was like, you should, like, what are you eating? What time do you eat dinner? Like, these things she brought to my attention as maybe that's one of the reasons that you're, like, struggling to sleep. Uh, her initial thought was, like, maybe you're not eating enough, so your body's waking you up in the middle of the night mm -hmm. because it needs something. And you don't even necessarily, like, identify that as I'm hungry. My mm -hmm. body needs it, but, like, it's still happening. Um so yeah, I started keeping a food journal, long story short, to make sure that I was A, eating enough food, and A, eating enough, or B, eating enough of the right foods. Um, mostly just making sure I got enough like carbohydrates and protein in my diet, because, I don't know, I kind of always thought like, yeah, I do like all right, but I wasn't actually sure. I've never really kept track of like, this is how much I'm eating, this is whatever. Yeah. I don't love doing that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I feel like it makes me more conscious in like maybe a negative way. I'm not like, I don't know. I don't like counting calories for myself because it makes me, I don't know. I don't like crazy. To, yeah, I just don't like to try to control that. I like it to be like a natural thing. And, you know, that's kind of the story of my life. I like to like feel it and listen to my body and like act on that rather than read this thing and say this is how you're supposed to do it and <laughs> here's the rule here's the answer you know I, I just think it's different for everyone and that's cool <laughs> it is cool yeah that's yeah. that's a good approach did you have you had any uh revelations from the food journal have you changed anything or any you, discoveries there you know i haven't changed a lot i think the first week or so that i took keep track of it i was really just trying to make sure, or I just wanted to see, like, how much am I eating? How many calories they're about? I did have a, 
like two different days where I like got to the end of the day and was like, oh, yeah, I did really well today. I ate a lot and went back and was like, wow, I ate like 2,100 calories. And like, I guess like that was neat to be aware of the fact that some days I, I can just not eat that much and certainly not enough for like the amount of output that I'm doing. Yeah. You know, I'll have days where it's like, yeah, I get up early. I like spend some time doing this or that and then go climbing for like six hours and then stop at the gym and like lift weights and have hiked four miles that day. And, you know, like just at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I probably like expended a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, so I guess the next step would be like, how do I monitor how much energy I'm actually burning in a day? I don't even know if that's like something I could figure out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably more than 2,100 calories. <laughs> Definitely more than that on any given day. Yeah, yeah, yeah especially a, a cathedral sport climbing day. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to hear how that evolves and if you make any changes that help or if you notice anything. Yeah. Just continue to feel the same no matter what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm sure that it's a big picture that, you know, when we look at the ebbs and flows and everything about our life from our performance to even just our motivation and the way we feel about everything, you know, uh, I, I'm sure that what you're consuming and what you're putting out there, like really heavily weighs on that. Mm. Um, is it something that I can fully control or fully be aware of? I don't think so. Cause again, that just changes every day and mm. I, I can never, no matter what plan for tomorrow, I'm going to put this much energy out there. Right. Um, tomorrow I'm going to have like this demand put on me. Uh, you know, next week I have to navigate that. Like that's just not life. And that's cool. I guess I kind of like that, that it's always a surprise. <laughs> Listen to your body, and when it tells you to go get baked goods at the River Rock, then that's what you yeah, gotta do. That's by default because you know I go in there with like I, I like this breakfast sandwich they have because it's it's a lot of fuel for the day, which helps me kind of like you know eat a bunch rather than like a bowl of granola, which is kind of like not gonna. It's probably burned up by the time I get to the crag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I like this breakfast sandwich, and it's not expensive at all. So it just mm. tricks me into thinking this is a good idea. <laughs> and then by default, if I show up and there's good day-old bakery items, which are half price, I can't resist being like, "Well, that's <laughs> like close to free," and that would be a perfect little sugar blast for later or a sending treat. If that somehow happened. Yeah. Which doesn't happen in sport climbing very much, turns out. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> well, I, I love that. It reminds me of like college, being in Bishop, like going to Schatz Bakery and going to the day old section and just raiding it, you know, like all of us just stocking <laughs> yeah. up on the most calorically dense sugary things we can find. Yeah. <clears throat> it's always a good idea when you're on the road. <laughs> I don't know about living down the street from River Rock and being like, well, I'm going climbing again every day. <laughs> I guess I'll stop there. <laughs> it seems like it's working so far. <laughs> Um, I am really excited. I don't know if I've told you this, but it's been really fun to get to know you a little bit more this season. So I started climbing in Leavenworth, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, my early climbing was in the 
in the school climbing gym at Western Washington University, but it was all my outdoor climbing early on the first few summers and outdoor trips was mostly in Leavenworth. Mm -hmm. And it was that first Sheridan guidebook. And I don't think I've told you this, but you and like Johnny G and like Kelly and Cole, you, there was like this kind of legendary mythical status sure. around all of you guys as I was like running around the forest trying to repeat some of your boulders. In the summer. In the summer. Ah, the <laughs> oh, those days. Back when I literally didn't know any better. Yeah, I know. Isn't that funny how it, we used to all just be like, what? Temps? Temps? It, it doesn't like, matter. In the sun and like, these V4s are so hard. <laughs> those were my earliest climbing days. Same thing. Yeah. Summertime in Leavenworth. I want to hear about that. So that's what I'm really excited to dig into. I would love to... And feel free to start at the beginning if that's what makes most, the most sense. But I would love to just have you describe what life was like discovering sure. climbing in Leavenworth. Everything was new. There was no yeah. guidebook yet. Putting up all those classic problems that everyone, you know, tries to go repeat nowadays. Yeah. What was it oh, like man. back then? That was like, just like looking back, it's like I was living the dream, truly. Hmm. So not only was that oh this is a neat discovery of leavenworth it was like you know hugely like my discovery of climbing and and those early days like really shaped just who i am as a climber and like what climbing means to me um so i feel really lucky to have found the way or whatever in climbing through just like that process of discovery and like just the unknown and it wasn't it was just it just seemed different that back then because you know we were the only ones out there and we were just walking around and like i i didn't know what you know going to try the v8 was like it was like we just found rocks that we thought oh there's a neat hold oh here's like another one maybe we could like find the way to the top and <laughs> scrubbing the rocks and just you know it was seemingly just kind of like a pure way of of being motivated or driven by something that wasn't like i want to climb harder i want to be better hmm. it was very much like we just liked being outside and you know that whatever chris sharma mentality i think resonated really deeply with me and the like you know how do you grade something it doesn't really matter it's different for every person like that carrying that into like our process of discovering things and establishing these boulders or whatever which Again, people like thank us for that. And I'm like, we were literally just having the time of our lives and hanging out in the woods. Like, there's no, it wasn't like, <laughs> we, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> we weren't like trying to like make climbing for other people. And, hmm. you know, back then we were like, dude, there was another person bouldering in forest land today. <laughs> like, can you believe it? <laughs> and for people listening that haven't been to Leavenworth, forest land these days i mean it's probably the most popular zone in, in leavenworth up yeah, bicycle canyon probably <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's very rare that you're there without other parties yeah yeah i mean i i feel again just so lucky to have been living there at that time so like i started climbing because a friend of mine was into it um and i was 19 years old and i started climbing because he took me to exit 38 and gave me an ATC and told me don't let go of this hand and uh, <laughs> give some slack when I'm going up and here I'll just climb and you'll figure it out I'll talk you through it and I'm wow. like 
and he like stepped <laughs> off the railroad tracks onto the wall. And I was like holding this thing and kind of was like sort of scared, but kind of trusted him enough to be like, I guess he's not going to fall. Um, so I belayed him on like a 10B or something like that. That was my first belaying experience. And I think I top roped that day. And I was like, Bryce, this is awesome. Like, I'm getting shoes tomorrow. And he was like, yeah, that's what everyone I take climbing says. And like, hmm. no one ever does. Um, but the next day I went to REI and got some shoes. And uh, I, man, it was like love at first feel for me. I just like dove in and was like, this is like the coolest thing. It was this you know like a lot of people like oh it's a cool reason to be outside and i just really liked the connection between like my mind and my body and nature and it just felt like a natural thing for me to do so i got shoes right away i, I started climbing at marymore park all the time where's that it's in redmond washington okay yeah and you grew up in issaquah i grew up in issaquah washington yeah or just outside of it um that was in the issaquah school district so uh a little closer with the mic if you can yeah sure <laughs> yeah no worries um so yeah marymore park was like a kind of a learning grounds for me where it's an outdoor structure and in, in this big park and it's absurd to me that it's just an unmanned thing um <laughs> it, the walls are pretty tall they're probably like 40 feet at their tallest point on Whoa. some of the spires and they're fully bolted um, with these weird glue-in bolts, and uh, it's like unsupervised, so you can just walk in and start climbing. And whoa, yeah, so it's like plastic climbing holds, or it, they're cement walls, so they're like some of them are made out of just straight concrete with like shaped edges and pockets and stuff. Huh. And then, <laughs> and then I wonder what it's like now. It must be kind of polished. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. And then some of the walls are like fully brick walls with like rocks inserted into them like real pieces of rock and so <laughs> so going there at first i was just climbing around and traveling around and kind of like free soloing to the top i kind of hmm. learned there that oh i like climbing high and climbing risky and like i shouldn't have been doing that but i was you know that's what the the people were doing they'd like free solo to the top and there was certainly a marymore park locals scene hmm. of these dudes that were just next level and i was you know looked at all of them and was like i'll never be able to do that in um, hindsight how hard were, were they climbing so some of the boulders that you know it's like endless eliminates right it's like a spray sure. wall type situation okay um and then you know there's like yeah texture for feet type rules it's like you can't stand on the ledges you know <laughs> it was fully like gymmed out you know um and among those people that i was watching and looking at in awe were uh joel campbell was one of them okay and jessica campbell was one of them um this guy named ben shrope so some like legendary washington folks and like the true locals and you know when i started climbing they were already at this kind of advanced elite level um and yeah i just remember even watching like jess do some of those boulder problems and being like wow like i was like you know they lose their heel that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, I learned a lot from watching them and trying their boulder problems that they showed me that they had made up. And, you know, looking back, a lot of them are like V4 or something like that. And they were ungraded and, you know, they never talked about that. So hmm. that was another 
thing, I think that early in my climbing days, it wasn't really about any grades for me ever. Hmm. Um, obviously it was cool when I started climbing in the gym to be like, oh yeah, I want to do the next number. But I think that quickly like lost its luster and I really, I pretty quickly understood that like, oh, that just doesn't matter. And it's like kind of all over the place. Hmm. Um, after I spent a whole summer climbing at Marymore Park and the winter set in in Washington, I did find the climbing gym. I went to the Vertical World in Redmond. Uh-huh. And that like totally opened my eyes to a new world because there was these numbers now that I wasn't really aware of. And I did have that early climberism, like climb the grades, like, okay, I did a V5. I want to do a V6 now. And, and in those days, this was like 2002 or three. Like, I don't know how much the gyms have evolved into being, like, softer or whatever, but back then, I swear, those Vs were, like, really hard to attain. Um, <laughs> and I think that, you know, Tyson was the head setter at that time. Tyson and, Shaney. Yeah, Tyson Shaney. And, and so I met him in some of my earliest days as a climber and, like, tooling around in the gym, and I would session with his team kids. Mm. And that was my first introduction into like, wow, there's a climbing team. And um, Tyson was like a hugely influential character in, in my climbing. Um, just in, you know, he didn't do anything like ridiculously significant or anything, but he did like step out of his way and like shared some of his perspective on like climbing and just what it's all about really in there that like, I was so eager to learn everything that I could that like a lot of his thoughts and perspectives just like resonated with me and I was like oh that's so cool and I didn't know it at the time but like he really planted the seed for being like a real mentor a coach in climbing and like that one day that would be something that like meant the world to me mm. um, at the time like I said it didn't cross my mind that I was like I want to be a climbing coach because I just was like learning how to do it yeah um but it was cool to like you know whatever years and years down the road to have become whatever climber that i became and to look back on those earliest days and and realize like i do want to share this with like the next generation and in this special way and so it was cool to have the opportunity to like step into that arena mm. when i did <laughs> Cool. Yeah, I, I definitely want to circle back to your coaching, and I have a number of questions about yeah. that. But I want to ask a little bit more about Leavenworth. How did yeah. you make your way out there for the first time? Do you remember? Yeah, I remember a, a friend of mine that I had met at the Vertical World, actually. His name was Ryan Jacobson. He uh, was super into climbing. You know, he, he's the one that actually showed me the movie Rampage. Nice. And, uh, <laughs> nice. yeah. And I, I classic. mean, yeah, classic. It, it truly changed my life. You know, watching that movie was like this, <clears throat> this, you know, gateway to, wow, that's what climbing could be like. And, and like, how cool is that to get to, you know, climb new problems and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously watching Chris Sharma looking heroic and yelling and sending the NAR was just inspiring. So, um, Ryan showed me Rampage and Ryan had been to Leavenworth a, a number of times and he's like, oh, it's great. We got to go sometime. So he took me out there for my first time and 
I think we went to Barney's Rubble, and we went to Forest Land, and we went to Swiftwater. Mm. Um, at the time, those were sort of the only zones that were there. I guess Mountain Home Road was there as well, but a lot of those little side satellite areas hadn't been, if they had been climbed on, which I'm sure a lot of them had been, they weren't on the map really yet. So it was neat to go out there and... I just had no idea how good it was. Even going there, you know, I was just a new climber. So I was like, cool, sweet problems. Like, this rock is neat. <laughs> but I didn't, it didn't like occur to me that I was like in this world class zone. That, uh, <laughs> I don't think I realized that for years, you know, I like, I can relate to that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you start traveling more and you're like, wow, my home where I started, like, that was actually really good climbing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a cool realization the year that I like figured that out, and, I, <laughs> and, I, and it was kind of the first year that I really traveled for climbing outside of the Northwest. You know, I I climbed in Washington and and climbed in Leavenworth, and really kind of started to get my roots as a climber. And you know, what graniteering like looked like and felt like to me was like born there. And then I pretty quickly that you know maybe two years into climbing i went to squamish for like a three-month trip in the summer and that was life-changing because it, mm. that's where i learned like wow people live in cars and like climb all the time mm. uh, i'd never seen that before and i got to meet some of the you know the forest masters up there and see <laughs> again like the way quote unquote there was probably a lot more information there like guidebooks or or established problems and things like yeah. that. yeah yeah, there was. And that was just a, you know, that was the first time I had dove into just full-time climbing and just camping out and like full dirtbagism. Uh, I survived on like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and peanuts. Because <laughs> like fruits and vegetables are too expensive in Canada. Um, but that was a wild summer. And just, again, it, it truly changed my life. I remember getting there and you're like project and all the v4s and the squamish v4s are you know there's a bunch of them and they're really cool and they're not straightforward easy climbs right and i was wearing moccasins exclusively so looking back in hindsight i don't know how we were heel hooking <laughs> up all those slopey arets and stuff but right <laughs> but i didn't know any better we just downsized uh-huh. <laughs> and uh that was you know, a world-class area that, again, I, I still didn't really make me realize how good Leavenworth was um, until in Squamish I got to meet some of my best friends that are still some of my best friends today, These this crew from Reno, mm. um, and specifically my good friend Joel Zaire. I met him that summer in Squamish, and we had a great time climbing together. I was 21 years old, <laughs> so this was old me, um, young me rather. And uh, I really, like, pushed myself as a climber just by nature there that summer. You know, climbing with Joel, he was a lot better than me. He grew up on a climbing team, and he Mm. was, you know, I was, like, kind of climbing the ranks or whatever. But I think when I started climbing there, I was, like, V4ing. And then by the end of the summer, I I think I did my first V8 that same summer. And so it it felt like huge progression. Yeah, Um, that is. Yeah, something. And it's whatever. It's I was still just a new climber and um but that like trip really got the ball rolling for me to be like, okay, this is a life thing for me. 
I dove deeper into climbing in Washington and, you know, climbing in Gold Bar with those guys. And again, it was just a natural thing to like walk around and find these climbs and brush the moss off and like find the way. Mm. It's interesting to look back on that motivation because it's like I wasn't trying to like seek first ascents or anything. Hmm. But it was just like a by nature thing. I think I was always, you know, in my early days, I, I think I liked to repeat things better because it was like, I know it's possible and like, here's the way you're supposed to do it. And, but it was cool to learn so much about climbing just by like doing it rather than someone like showing me how to do it. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Was it, was it all bouldering back then? I mean, you, your first day was top roping at exit 38. Yeah. Was yeah. it all bouldering for the next few years after that? I sort of started as going rope climbing more just because that's what I had known. Once I had seen Rampage and started to go bouldering, I did like dive pretty deeply into that. Um, and I would sport climb a little bit occasionally, but I definitely had the like boulderer ego thing where I was like kind of scared and I'd get pumped and like, it wasn't super enjoyable to go sport climbing and mm. get like owned on the 12A or whatever <laughs> when, I, when I was climbing just V's, boulders. <laughs> but it, yeah, I, I did boulder pretty exclusively for four years or so. Okay. And then I started to feel this kind of, oh man, a new climbing is fun to me. Like I like to do something new. For some reason that was something that I adopted like really early in my climbing days of like if i can do a new climb to every day that i climb then like that's a successful day to me like new something you haven't done or like first ascent something new. that i haven't done okay so it doesn't matter mm -hmm. like difficulty aside like it can be v0 if i climb something i've never climbed before that to me is a successful day hmm. and i think four years in i started to be like okay like Maybe now if I do like new moves in a day, like that's successful. Because um, I was, you know, we were obviously still finding new climbs all the time. And there was more stuff that I had never done. But it was harder to do that, um, visiting these same areas. So that's when I stepped back into sport climbing. Because I was mm. like, there's a whole bunch of new moves on this wall. Interesting. Yeah. So that, that came into play more when you were still living in Washington? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I started to kind of switch seasonally. So if it was colder out, I would prefer to boulder. And if it was warmer out, bouldering's less fun mm. And so to me. And so I would go sport climbing at exit 38 in the summertime. And again, it was just a whole new, like a huge arena of moves that I had never done. So, And it was just a new, you know, it felt like time to do something different and mm. To, it was motivating as someone who bouldered a little bit more to try these sport climbs and be like, the moves are not hard for me to do, but it's really a tough puzzle to put these together. Mm. Um, but, you know, I dove in and wanted to do a 513, so <laughs> I spent a bunch of time trying to do my first 513, which was chronic. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a little side exit 32. Kind of world famous. Yeah. <laughs> And is it <laughs> i mean i i think so it's, i think it's like it's amazing yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely washington famous washington famous <clears throat> maybe not world famous <laughs> yet <laughs> but i think it would be a great route anywhere yeah 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 it would 
Yeah, and that was a fun one to do because it was so not bouldery, I guess. Mm. It's like 80 feet long and pretty much every single move is like V3. <laughs> Maybe there's a V4 move in there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it didn't really like suit my strength. And so that was my first kind of transition into like, this is what it means to try a sport climb that's hard. And I don't know how many, I, I have no idea how many efforts it took me, but it was like days long endeavor. And mm. Yeah, it was. I guess it's neat to look back and be like, "Oh, my first five thirteen was an eight A, and not like a thirteen A." Yeah, um, and that was just by accident and by default. And the fact that like this is the classic here, like you should do that one. And the locals like have it so ruthlessly wired that they were like warming up on it. Yeah, they they all just make it look easy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was neat to go through the evolution of like I projected that thing. Mm. And I had to earn it. And then one day I also was like the local that like, <laughs> I, I have warmed up on Chronic before. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I can relate to that. At, at Smith Rock, the equivalent is uh, churning in the wake. That's, that's oh, the yeah. Smith Rock version of Chronic that everyone just sure. can chuck a lap on. All the turbo locals, we call them. Um, <laughs> I'd love to ask, um, as far as as far as putting up first ascents, as far as discovering new boulders, not having any sense of what anything was graded or not even caring that much. Like, what are some of the climbs that? What are a few that really stand out to you looking back? Either because they really challenged you, because they were just so amazing or um, one of a kind, or I mean, what, take this whatever direction you want. But sure. yeah, what are a few of the the big highlights looking back? Um, days. Oh man, I got a lot of highlights. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. I I do have, <laughs> and as I get older and the longer I climb, I I get more like into tinkering with things, like keeping track of things and like mm. climbing journal type things. I never used to do that, and I kind of wrote it out with like I have a great memory. I don't forget things, and and I and it was true. Like if I climbed something I remembered and I would remember the beta and very clearly, very vividly remember my experience with it. Huh. Um, but in the past six years or something, I've started to keep track of like, this is where I climbed, this is what I did that day. Just to like, for my own reference of like, this is new. So in that list of lists, I have a <laughs> list of like, these are the best climbs of my life. Yes. These create these like, you know, inspired the best moments in climbing for me. Um and some of those are boulder problems I got to put up or a lot of them are like second descents that I was involved in the like process to like discover it, figure mm. it out, watched so and so do the first descent or whatever and I got to follow suit. Um but in some of my earliest days as a climber I, I did get for some reason i i liked boulders that were like really nice looking and by default for some reason i liked the ones that were taller than than not yeah um, you're you're known for that yeah you've got to a be lot like, of highballs to your name used to be pretty like snobby or something in terms of like <laughs> oh i don't like the way that one looks i'm not gonna bother hmm um and i i hated to like be elitist or whatever but i i was like kind of not i was kind of selective mm. and like i'm not going to climb on it unless it's like strikingly beautiful to me unless i'm drawn to it 
and like whatever low balls with big numbers were like the opposite of that for me for, mm. a, for a long time mm -hmm. now as i'm older that's not the case i kind of like low ball huh. it's like pretty fun it's like <laughs> more about the movement and like the fact that like oh this experience with whatever climb is like gonna be neat it's all about your frame of mind in some some way and what i look for is like a challenge and something that is like neat and and whatever provides an experience of some sort um on that note in my earliest days i think the most notable climb i can think of is a, a climb in index along the river that i did as far as i know do the first descent of it's called built to last hmm. and it's just on like the most incredibly river sculpted granite imaginable and i don't think i know this one yeah, it's consequently really tall okay um, there's another boulder across the river from it that we had climbed on originally. I think it has a climb called J High on it. Okay. It's like a jump start problem. And uh, yeah, looking across the river, there's this huge face that like looms above the bad landing and the, the water, <laughs> depending mm. on the river level. And yeah, I got pretty stoked on that. And so that one is one of the best like first descents of my life i think because it was one of the first really tall boulders that i did get to do the first descent of and it's just like super beautiful it's in a place that just meant a lot to me because it just taught me a lot about who i am as a climber and what i look for and that climb is it's stunningly beautiful it's cool it's on mm. the cover of that central washington guidebook or something that pablo wrote oh, okay okay yeah how difficult is it? It's maybe like V8-ish. Okay. Yeah. It has like, it's maybe like index 12A. <laughs> <laughs> Polished, yeah. slippery granite. And super yeah, there's a really hard first move hmm. that's like a big move to a big rail, and then it's like literally like 512. <laughs> I'm going to start grading everything <laughs> in index grades. Yeah. I would like that. I would like that. It's all about perspective. You it's know? like index 12B. <laughs> yeah. It's 514 somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least V10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what are some others from that list? The best of the best. Uh, the crown jewel is at the top of the list for me, for mm. sure, as, as a boulder problem. Um, that one's in Lake Tahoe, uh, above the Phantom Spires. and It's a great video of that. Yeah, there's a cool video. Yeah. <laughs> I'll share that in the show notes for people. Yeah, Dane Henry, was he was a magic <clears throat> maker. He actually makes ski videos, and that was huh. one of his first times making a climbing video. I think it was his second one, actually. That fits. I can yeah. see the ski video... Uh, like creative element of that, uh -huh. you know, was he in a helicopter or was this, did he no, have a drone <laughs> back then? Just, they just had all the, all the tricks, man. It was overwhelming actually. I'm so curious. Yeah. He was like, yeah, man, you want to like shoot this video? Do you have any ideas of like cool climbs? And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> now I got this really neat one. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I can do it again. It took me like five days to do it. Hmm. Um, and it was oh man that one just like meant a lot to me it's in like the coolest arena and uh it was just a whatever interesting time in my life and i had just got back from a big road trip and i got shown that boulder and was like whoa hmm. uh i want to describe it from what i remember from the video it's a pretty tall v10 mm -hmm. and it just looks like this perfect block that just fell out of the sky and landed on top of a mountain. It's just the most insane 
yeah. setting you can possibly imagine. Is it, that is it that is? A, I yeah. don't know how that happened. It's, <laughs> it's a weird thing. Yeah, and the face the the side of the boulder that the problem is on is like quite steep, and it's just covered in this really vibrant green lichen. Mm. And so when you walk up to the boulder, you're like, oh my God, like <laughs> that's just insanely beautiful. Even if you weren't a climber, it's cool looking. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and it kind of, there's kind of good features on it. So you're definitely like, there's a climb there, like for sure. But it is, you know, classic experience with a climb where you're like, that's neat. I want to do it. It's going to be hard. I got to figure it out. Um, and then it took some effort and some patience and. And then when Dane asked me to do that video, I was kind of like, oh, right on. Like, I'm stoked to show that one to the world. It's, it is like a notable one. Um, and <laughs> I went out there and they had this huge boom crane and like one of those big oct octocopter drones. And like, it was like a film crew. So I was kind of, I was kind of like, whoa, <laughs> I'm slightly overwhelmed. Like, I didn't know it was going to be a production like this. But, you know, I was like, whatever, you're like, I'll try to climb it still. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun, man. It was cool to, like, work with. The crew was all so laid back and so excited about just being out there. But I think there was, like, six or seven of them, like, wow. operating cameras. And it was so neat to see, like, you know, one guy was operating the, the boom while someone else had the screen in their hand. And then Dan was like talking them through it and they were like taking practice swoops with the with the boom. <laughs> and I was like, this is kind of cool. It's like they're figuring out the beta for <laughs> like capturing this thing. And, you know, it was just neat to see like that realm of, you know, I'd never worked with like a huge film crew before. Yeah. That and uh, and consequently, I, I like surprised myself by climbing the boulder a, a bunch of times that day. Whoa. Yeah. And I, I kind of was like, I don't know if I can do it again, but we'll see. And I think <laughs> I think my first try got a flapper on like oh. my, one of my fingers and like tore <laughs> like a whole pad off and was like, oh, that's not a good sign. Yikes. Like told you I might not be able to do it. Uh, but then I, I proceeded to send it like three times or something. And then I was like starting from like a couple moves in and I did it like three or four more times. And, hmm. and so that day changed my perspective on the climb a little bit. Hmm. Cause honestly, before that, I sort of was like, I think it might be V11, whatever that means. Like who cares? But it seemed really hard for me. And then after that day, I was like, ah, it's probably not that hard. I, I shouldn't probably be able to do that hmm. that many times. Um, and you know, they, Dan kept being like, yeah, if you want to do it like one more time, we could like get this other shot and <laughs> you'll see in the video, they, they used all the shots and like, you, uh, you cool. can see. I want to watch it again. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so that video like spawned a couple other photographers reaching out to me to be like, can I go shoot that? Hmm. And, uh. One day in particular, I went back with Jim Thornburg, and he wanted to shoot some photos of it. No way. Yeah, and he got some cool ones that day. And uh, that day that I went with Do you think we could him, share those? Yeah, I don't... I know he has some published somewhere on his Instagram. Okay. I'm not certain if he, like... Uh, and I think there's a picture in a magazine or something of that, Rock and Ice or something from years mm. ago. But yeah, it was, it was fun to go out there with him. And that day, 
somehow I, I was like screwing around. There was kind of this potential low start that I was, I looked at it. There's like an obvious like slot starting hold below where I originally started. And I kind of messed with the moves at first and was just like, oh, it's just too hard. And like, it's already giant boulder and I can't even do the top. So like, I'll just start here on this, like reach as high as you can reach hold. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, but for whatever reason that day that I was shooting with Jim, I climbed it a few more times that day. <laughs> I climbed the boulder <laughs> and I, I figured out how to do the low start moves. I just like messed around a little bit and I was like, Oh, it does go. Mm. And it, it was neat. It like re-sparked my motivation to like go back and do the climb from a, a lower start. And, uh, and then that, I think I spent three more days going out there and trying this low start. I think every one of them was by myself. Wow. And then... It's pretty tall. How did you have enough pads? I'm just not the smartest sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> and I might be overconfident sometimes okay. in that realm. And yeah. so... The you way just I, didn't have enough pads, basically. The way I looked at it was I've climbed it a whole bunch of times now. Yeah. I think if I get to this point, I won't fall. Yeah. And I would just carry pads out there, you know? Like, most of the time, you can drive to the top of the hill, and you walk mm. you walk downhill, like, maybe, like, eight minutes, and then you're at the boulder. No way. And so, it was not really a huge problem to carry tons of pads. Okay. Um, what if... What an interesting... Yeah setting like i would have from the video you just imagine like oh that was probably a trek to the top of this mountain yeah people ask me how bad is that approach i'm like it's pretty easy actually <laughs> most of the time but, okay but uh yeah that there's actually i think i posted a picture on my instagram like many years ago of one of the days that i was out there by myself and i just i set up my camera and took the shot of me trying to carry all my pads it's a false picture because I didn't actually carry them all at one time. I mm. like took two trips, mm -hmm. but I have like, I don't know. I think I had six pads or something and I, I'm like <laughs> carrying like <laughs> two double stacks on either arm and one on my back. And, uh, <laughs> and it's like, that's the perspective. Like that's one of the things about like going bouldering by myself that I just, I really like being by myself and being alone at times and, and like. I think I'm a little bit of an introverted person most of the time, so I recharge alone, and there's just no better way for me than climbing alone. And mm. that's when I truly like just enjoy the moment to the fullest, and I can take my time, and I can rest as long as I want, and I don't have any stressful feelings if I'm like climbing by myself typically. Mm. Um, so, and if I could do that with a climb that like means a lot to me, then even better. And so that one was was truly fitting and. I had dragged enough friends out there for the days of trying to do the original boulder that I, you know, I ran out of belayers, if you will. <laughs> and uh, and I didn't mind climbing by myself at all. So that process of doing the low start led to like what I think is the best day and the best moment of climbing that I've ever experienced in my life. And that wow, it was a crazy, crazy day. It was New Year's Eve and usually Tahoe's under snow. But for it was just a dry winter and it hadn't really snowed yet too much. And I was like, dude, I'm going to go try to do the thing. It's New Year's. I could like close out the year and do the thing. And I drove out there and I had like a little Subaru Impreza and 
How did you fit six pads in a Subaru Impreza? I didn't have six pads that day. I think I had three, <laughs> three pads that day. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I brought four. But, but any, yeah, at any rate, I usually can drive to the top of the road. But it was winter enough that, like, mm. you get to this point where you turn left onto the dirt road and you drive to the top of the mountain, and that was snowy. Um, so I got up there to the snow and, like... <laughs> I was like, oh, I got the Subaru. Like, it's it's not that deep. I'll try to make it. And and I instantly got stuck, like, 10 feet into the road. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, it sucks. And, like, I kind of epic. It probably took me, like, an hour to get the car out. Oh, man. And I was, like, by myself. So I was, like, getting out to, like, push it. And, like, I was doing all sorts of shenanigans, like, trying to push the gas pedal with, like, a rock so then I could, like, push it at the same time. And... <laughs> And I, it, I was like putting rocks under the tires and it was an epic. So I finally got the car out and I was like, well, I think I'm too tired to like go climbing now. And I got to walk like two miles now. Yeah. With my pads. In the snow. In the snow. Yeah. It was probably only like a foot deep or something, but. That's significant. In the snow. Yeah. Yeah. And so. <laughs> I literally sat there for a minute and was like, I had my little dog with me. I was like, what do you think, Kona? And, you know, she was looking hopeful still. So I was like, you know what? It is still New Year's. Like, why not? I'm here. I already drove down here. And so I freaking strapped my pads together with like a strap and I like drug them behind me in the snow so I didn't have to carry them. And uh, I made the two mile walk. It was totally snowless up there, hmm. and I like sent the boulder that day. Wow! And uh, yeah, there's a there is wow. a video that I posted of the like full send of the sit start. Oh, sweet! It's not as cool as the like video that Dane made, but it is like an uncut iPhone video of me like doing the thing. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I want to I want to share that uh, on Instagram if you don't mind. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. And that was that was like the best moment of climbing for me because it was like, man, I rose above like my initial feelings and like getting stuck. And that was one of those like power of the psych moments for me where hmm. I was like, you know what? Like it is all about your perspective and like what you produce and what you can like put out there is fully surrounded by like how do you feel in your head? So hmm. I went from kind of being like defeated feeling to being like, no, you could still do it. Like show up and try, man. And so like, what's the extra hike going to do? And then it actually kind of sucked because like <laughs> s snow trudging was just not that rad. And, and <laughs> especially on the way out, I was like, well, no, I'm tired. Wish I didn't have to walk down, but it was pretty worth it too. So <laughs> amazing. Amazing. How much harder was the sit you think? Did you put a B grade to it? Yeah, like suggested like it might be 12-ish or something. Okay. I don't know, man. I just have no idea. <laughs> Grades make no sense to me because <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll like flash a boulder that has the same grade as something that takes me like five or six days sometimes. And mm. I just don't know. Like there's too many factors, right? Yeah, especially on that rock type especially yeah. on granite and technical rock like conditions matter so much more yeah whether or not you find the tricks right away 
yeah, yeah, whether I'm doing it, which usually is the case. Usually I'm doing it wrong for like hmm. days. <laughs> <laughs> I think my friend Ethan Pringle likes to say it's usually about the beta. Mm. That's usually what makes or breaks the send. And mm. like, I think I kind of can see what he's talking about. Cause smart, smart guy. Smart guy, yeah. <laughs> and he's probably just done the same thing as me a lot. Yeah. It's like, cool, I just fell off that move for like eight days. Like, I should have figured it out better. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to get to how you went from Leavenworth to Tahoe. And, and I guess just kind of like more broadly what your trajectory was from mm -hmm. from there to Tahoe eventually to Salt Lake and what led you to coaching but a couple of questions before we get into that I'm curious what was your gym climbing life like throughout all of these chapters and like how strong did you get before you dove into training were you were you training back then were you just climbing were you doing anything in the in the gym that would we, that we would recognize as training these days? Yeah. Nope. I was not. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I gym climbed quite a bit that first year or two that I found it. And it was purely just like sessioning the boulders in the gym, um, climbing with mostly the Vertical World team kids hmm. and like a few other, you know, this was, again, like 2002. So right. there was significantly less climbers in the gym and it was always kind of the same people and so there was this kind of tight-knit community that like i knew everyone there and um we were truly just like sessioning the boulders and this was you know they were still taped back then taped boulders on the wall <laughs> and a lot of just making up boulder problems and just not keeping up with the 14 year old team kids so <laughs> so and and it was awesome to get to climb with some of those guys i got to climb with brian boyko and brian hopkins and those were kind of the like notable vertical world boys that were you know at the time they were like next level mm -hmm. you know fully capable of like winning nationals whether they did or not mm. they were like that good yeah and i remember i worked at a western washington's gym for a few years and i remember setting routes for competitions and i Brian uh, Hopkins would come to some of our competitions and we just had the hardest time setting yeah. things hard enough for him. Oh, yeah. You yeah. just do everything first try. Yeah. That's... Luckily, he was the only one that did everything yeah. first try. <laughs> then it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that kid had just an unbelievable ability to like pinch blocks in an overhang. So huh. Vertical World had this rad 55-degree wall that we would climb on a lot. And I would never send the boulders that he would make up and do, but... <laughs> that was fun to try <laughs> and uh yeah so i don't know I, I sessioned in the gym for a couple of years and then i kind of like phased out of going at all i think hmm. i got to for again whatever reason and in my own mind i was like i think there's another way i think i can train by climbing you know i, I always said like i want to beat the system <laughs> and like i would kind of train by just home exercises on the floor and I would do my push-ups and sit-ups and I would I would climb a lot of you know volume days and I would repeat boulder problems a lot because it was just so fun to me it like was ones you'd already done you mm -hmm. mean mm. yeah and it wasn't like I gotta train I need to go do the circuit it was just like yes yeah, so this is training to me and like oh I love this boulder problem I love 
being there. I love where it's at. I love the holds, the moves, whatever. I, I would be drawn to that and just go and climb them again. So hmm. a lot of like my favorite Leavenworth problems, I've probably climbed like 50 to 100 times. Wow. And because some days I'd, you know, go there and do it like six times in a row. What What are some of those? Uh, I love that was problem. I've climbed was. that. I've climbed that like a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> I love the sleeping lady. Mm. Uh, I've climbed that one like over a hundred times for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that Musashi climb, I've climbed a whole bunch of times. Okay. Um, those are probably the ones I've done the most. I'll uh, I'll link to I'll put these names and grades in the show notes for people that are listening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and those grades have evolved over the years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the boulders have honestly changed a lot in Leavenworth. The rock mm. there's kind of soft, and I think it's just wet in the northwest, and people climb there a lot when it's kind of damp. And it, it is granite, but I think it's like a sandstone-esque granite a lot of the time. Mm. And then some of the rock has been burned with you know wildfires, and that makes it worse maybe. And It seems like yeah. it gets sharper and more brittle yeah, from the fires. sure. Yeah, but every time <clears> I go back there, every every year that I visit my homelands, I, I'm like <laughs> amazed at how different a lot of the problems are. Hmm. Yeah, I'll just be like, wow, that's just not even, it's like 100% different hmm. than like those early days. <laughs> so I, I, I attribute you or I think of you so much as um, a first ascensionist just because, just because of that first guidebook and seeing your name all over it. And, you know... It's really interesting. Like, it seems like that's just where you were at that time, right? Like, there weren't there weren't established boulders, so you went and made up your own. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you've carried or continued that same trajectory, and that that's caused you to move around and continue to move to places. You know, like once Lav- Leavenworth was kind of getting a little bit tapped, all of a sudden you were in Tahoe, and there's mm-hmm. all these untapped, you know, new zones and new boulders and things. Yeah. Um, was that by design? Like, did you did you continue to seek out the development? Was that did that become a significant part of of climbing for you? And how important has that been versus just yeah? I, I don't it's, know. It's a interesting. I I don't know. I, again, I don't think I was super motivated by like I need to do first descents. I need to find new things. I guess that's what I'm getting to. I'm surprised to hear you say that because I was projecting onto you this like endless seeking yeah. of the new because you've just done yeah. so much development in all these different areas. I think a lot of it has happened just by default, not by design. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that the friends that I was hanging out with and climbing with all kind of had that desire to seek and find new stuff especially like joel and johnny in those early days like they kind of only liked to climb new stuff Hmm. um and i think part of that came from you know they just don't they did not like to repeat boulders um and it just i don't know there's something about like seeking and finding and doing something new that is kind of addicting so yes i always loved to do that and it's certainly has like a big presence in my life as a climber but i didn't like leave washington because i was running out of stuff to climb Mm. and i'm like i'm gonna go to tahoe because there's tons of development there that happened just by like default huh yeah at the time like my partner had got this job opportunity to go and work in the san francisco area 
and we were like happily Seattleites, essentially. We were, we were living in Issaquah. Um, but we also were like, oh man, maybe we should consider moving away from home. Like we were born and raised here. Like what, you know, there's a big world out there. Like let's go visit and mm. see. And so we went to California to visit one weekend and we were like, wow, it's like almost too nice. Worst case scenario, we can move back. Like, let's do it. Mm. And so I sold my my business that I owned. I owned a window cleaning company in Seattle. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did that for like five years or something. And uh, yeah, we made the move to the Bay Area. And that, you know, it opened huge doors to me as a climber because I again, just got to visit new to me climbing areas. So whether they're first ascents or a hundredth ascent, if it's like a new to me spot, I really like that. And I'm really motivated by that as a climber. Mm. And so moving to California and just being like, everything is new to me. Um, I was a sales rep, so I got to drive around a lot to like visit all my accounts and stuff. And so I would, you know, conveniently visit all the spots surrounding the Bay Area, like on my daily work trips or whatever. And I really got stoked to like visit the Valley. So that mm. you know, Yosemite was like a place I'd never been before. And that was like huge for me as, as a climber and, and just to like experience that and the history there. And I moved to California in at the end of June in 2011. And uh, my first day to Yosemite, we climbed Half Dome, my friend Jens and I. <laughs> and Jens Holstein? Yeah, Jens Holstein. <laughs> okay. Yeah, good friend, Jens. So he's been he's been like a mentor to me in that whole like event, adventure climbing, hmm. bigger, further and bigger mentality. Um, he would get me outside of my bouldering shoes and... And I love, I don't know, he's like my one of my favorite people to go and do something big and adventurous with every year. I always try to do that. Cool. Um, and naively, we were like, 12A, we could do that. He's been up there before. He's tried it. And like, <laughs> we made it to the top. But uh, <laughs> that was like the most heinous day probably ever for climbing for me. And <laughs> the next day was the worst day like the worst feeling day as far as soreness and like workedness goes wow that i've ever experienced so yeah <laughs> yeah we like hiked down the next morning because we camped at the base after we climbed it <laughs> and uh it was an 18 hour day tent to tent so mm. it was a long day and uh <laughs> it was yeah it was epic dude like the chains weren't up or the cables weren't up at the top so we like had to descend like lifting them up and like they're so heavy dude it's crazy huh and that was at the end of the day so i was already tired and then we walked across snow fields in the dark to get back to the base of the cliff and they were like steep ass snow banks that like seemed to just drift off into like cliff land <laughs> probably did and they probably did yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like a spooky end to the day and we hiked down the next day and Jen's is like, we got to walk around camp four. You'll see all these cool boulders. And like, it was like July 5th and it was like a hundred degrees. And I remember just walking around camp four being like, I don't even want, I can't walk around. I'm too tired. And like looking at like midnight lightning and thriller and just being like, that just looks like hell. 
right now. Like, I just don't even want to look at it. <laughs> don't care. Which, <laughs> Too tired. Which is, like, absurd, because, yeah, then further down the road, and fast forward to fall, and I was like, oh, my God, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Like, over and over and over again. Like, every climb I saw was like, that's the coolest boulder I've ever seen. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I had some amazing valley experiences getting to, like, sample a lot of those boulders that are so famous and historic and just cool. They're just, like, nice. Hmm. So, yeah, and Yosemite's just full of everything I like about bouldering, about climbing. These, like, giant boulders with super pretty walls and... Hmm amazing holds and just clean cut everything you know it's 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 incredible um and consequently like i had kind of been doing a bunch of manual labor like with my window cleaning job for years Hmm. carrying ladders climbing up and down ladders like just kind of like doing work and i kind of battled some injuries through that i had like tendonitis and stuff from working and climbing um, but that year I had sold my company and I had stopped manual laboring. So like, yeah, I never trained for climbing, but that was like serious training for climbing hmm. because when I stopped doing that, it was like this whole new me of like, <laughs> I'm in a new spot. There's all these like new to be climbs. I'm like actually recovered and not like working my butt off all day, every day in a physical way. And I... Yeah, I'd had so much inspiration that I just, like, couldn't stop. Hmm. I couldn't stop going, and I, it was, like, a super dry winter, and so I had just, like, the best conditions imaginable and, like, way too much stoke and, <laughs> and like, freshness in my body. So I got to climb a whole bunch in the valley that year. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some notable ones there, too. A couple of the best of the best list what from are, Yosemite Valley. What are some of those? Uh, King Air is really neat mm. to me. I like that one a lot. I just saw some uh, some really good photos from John Glassberg. Oh, I yeah. think of him and Sean Rabbitu doing that one. Yeah, that, that one's incredible. It's stunning. It's cool. And I got that was a neat day. It was like a day right before a storm happened, and I was there by myself. And I literally saw one other person that day <laughs> at that little zone. They were like walking around the Leconte boulder. Mm-hmm. And that was the only person I saw that day. Wow. And I, I got to, yeah. Every day in the valley was like super magical amazingness. And a lot of them I spent by myself, actually. It was hmm. like winter. It was like weird, random midweek days I would go out there. And <laughs> it was incredible. So... But King Air's one, that dogwood problem I liked a lot. Mm. Um, and just for reference, to make the best of list, it doesn't have to be the best climb, but it has to be a neat climb that like stood out to me as this experience or this process that like maybe it was some little realization or something that I had along the way, but like that shapes to me like what's a great experience with a climb and mm. what makes it like the best climb or whatever to me um so dogwood's cool and uh and then the probably the most notable one is one called too big to flail no too big to fail sorry that right. one's actually called too big to fail not flail right and then flails in bishop flails in bishop yeah. yeah so too big to fail is like a, another legendary randy perot climb and it's it's so beautiful the only <laughs> deterrent to that one is there's like one kind of gross hold on it mm. um 
it didn't really bother me. Like sharp or? Tweaky? Yeah, it's weird. It's like this little crappy little crimp that's kind of like not uniform. It's kind of like a broken-ish mm. hold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of gross, but mm. and it's like way up there also. <laughs> um but that one was a notable climb to me i had been like i gotta do that someday and i was a year that i did it i took a special trip to the valley like just to try to do that one mm-hmm. so took me a few days but i did it nice yeah hell yeah notable. that's cool i'll try to find uh i'll try to find photo photos of these to link in the show notes for people that are curious yeah, yeah there's a I, I actually posted like a crappy iphone video of me doing oh that sweet one. okay it's like not that cool, but you get the picture anyway. Nice. It was a neat setting of like, there's nobody there. You can see Kona just sitting there, like watching. <laughs> and then you moved to Tahoe after that. Yeah, I moved to Tahoe after that. Okay. Um, my partner and I split up, and I was like, kind of just lost in life for a minute, and didn't really know what to do, and I, I actually went on a big. Like when I lived in the Bay Area, I was visiting Tahoe, and that's how I got integrated with Dave Hatchett, who wrote the Tahoe Guidebooks, mm. and Joel Zare was living in Reno, so I, I climbed with him a lot in the Tahoe arena. Um, and then I kind of moved there just because I had nowhere else to go. Uh, like moved there, but was living in a car. <laughs> nice, okay. And, uh, and then I took a big, long road trip that year because i was like i quit my job my sales rep job and i just was like i gotta get out of here and gotta go be distracted by the world and uh so i went on a big road trip i went to vegas i went to waco i went to joe's valley and then i came back to tahoe and kind of like extended my road trip there Hmm. and then that is the time because i was like i don't know what to do i don't know where to go that's when i found uh coaching climbing i started a, a rock climbing team in lake tahoe mm. at the incline village okay gym. yeah high altitude fitness is where i started so i started a new team like there's no there's no kids there's like a couple kids climbing but uh yeah it was a small team there's like 10 kids or something like that and that was my first taste into like doing that thing mm. <laughs> yeah and it was cool man like yeah it felt kind of like climbing did where as soon as i started doing it i was like this is it like wow this feels like the best thing i could be doing so huge pay cut compared to previous <laughs> lines of employment but uh and i kind of was always hesitant to work at a climbing gym because i just it wasn't like my life climbing gym mm. life mm-hmm. um but to be able to do this you know coaching role was like okay i can maybe deal with it to do that uh, i think i professionally always wanted to be a teacher okay and i originally went to college to get my teaching degree and then i kind of got scared and was like what if i don't want to be a teacher huh and so i bailed into majoring in exercise science okay um, i just liked my exercise physiology class and was like i don't know what to do i'll do that that's cool um and so that led me to being like a personal trainer for a little bit. Then I started a window cleaning company, obviously. And then, uh, <laughs> and then to circle back around to being a coach and climbing or whatever was neat to think, oh, I can kind of use my degree, I guess. Hmm. Um, at least I like have the knowledge of like, what does training mean 
and like what does it do even though i don't do it (laughs) (laughs) well yeah that is that is really interesting did that start to influence your own climbing as well coaching yeah yeah and and teaching kids how to train and and using the exercise science applying it to climbing yeah um it influenced my climbing in some ways and it maybe pushed me further into the realm of i want to beat the system so that i can love this idea (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's kind of silly but i wanted to show the kids that i coached and worked with that there is another way to do this and it does it's not like i don't know there's just not a specific way of like if you train like this it will produce this Mm. um my mentality has and what i learned as just a climber in my early days is like just if you are consistently doing it and you're consistently enjoying it that will make you push yourself to a certain level and by nature like improvement will come out of that Hmm. and so for me i was always just too motivated to always be out there as much as i could and i knew that like I'm not getting as strong as I possibly could by doing this, but I am having the most fun doing it. And I think I'm also improving by just logging more hours mm. and, and by switching up the styles of, you know, if I if I exclusively bouldered, yeah, I'd probably be limiting myself. If I exclusively rope climbed, I'd probably be limiting myself. And it's way more effective to train in the gym and target your weaknesses and put in the like month long endeavor. Um, but to me, it just wasn't, I, I don't know. I wanted there to be another path. I wanted to be able to rise above that expectation and be like, I could train in a different way and I'll still like improve. And along the way, I'll have a lot of fun doing it. And so yeah. that, you know to me I, I want i climbed because it was so fun and like felt so good to just be outside and and be in these cool spots and take 10 days to climb the thing that i wanted to do like i don't need to be strong enough that i can do it in one session or whatever hmm. and i think that's like what motivated me to not train i guess um was that i was like but it is it's the experience that matters it's not the fact that I did this thing, hmm. like in some ways, I think that quick hit send is less of a rewarding experience because you don't have to go through the, hmm. the like, I don't know, setting the stage and the patience and the, you know, true learning that goes into doing this or that. And yeah, sure, it's probably also fun to just send and be stronger than the climb every time. But I don't know. I sort of also just missed the boat on that. I thought. <laughs> I thought that like, oh, I didn't train when I was a kid. Like, it doesn't really matter. Hmm. I'll just have fun. And that is kind of like BS. That <laughs> that might be like, if I could do it over again, I would maybe integrate some training into my like regime throughout my life. So Okay. That, so that I could just have a better foundation of, of like overall body strength and kind of just, I don't know, it's nice. It's good to like tune yourself up, I think, every year. 
So my mentality toward training has changed a little bit. Um, yeah, that's one of the questions I had for yeah. you. Like, what what are some of those things that you wish you had done or or would do differently if you could go back? Yeah, man, that's a tough question to answer because in most ways I'm like I wouldn't change a thing. Like, yeah, I, I would not trade the moments that I got to spend mm. out there doing the thing that meant so much to me for the like training days that I could have got stronger or whatever. Mm. Um, however, I do think that, like I just said, maybe spending a little bit of time every year, utilizing the downtimes and the off seasons better mm. would probably be what I would change. Cause you know, living in the Northwest, it's like quite wet for a lot of the year. And I would just fight it, man. I would like, <laughs> I'd be like, don't go to the gym. <laughs> and I would probably log like maybe five or 10 days a year in the gym Wow! on some of those, you know, like those years where I was sort of like opposed. I mean, I've lived up there in the winters. Like, what did you go? What did you do? Just freaking not doing it smartly. I'd like <laughs> go to Little Sai and I'd go okay. to the Equinox wall and it was dry enough. And like, okay, okay, yeah. I would squeeze in those uh, dry days and in index and... You know, secretly, the best days of the year in Washington are in the middle of the winter. Right. There's always a week or two of, like, gloriousness. That's why it's so hard to to do a trip there to try to send yeah. anything hard. Yeah, it is, kind of. You never yeah. know when that window's going to hit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. I think I would maybe maybe try to integrate, like, at least one or two smaller blocks of, like, focused training if I could do it over again. Mm. And then I would also maybe spend a little bit more time trying to like perfect the art of projecting, hmm. whatever that means. Uh, I always have defaulted to like climbing is fun and to me sending is fun. And you know, that whole do something new every day produced a lot of days of climbing at like sub limit for me. Okay. Um, so that's good and it's bad it's like really paved a big foundation for me like my pyramid is like hugely filled out mm. um i've climbed like hundreds of of like you know grades that i can do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of of all the things um and so consequently i'm not as good at like seeing through the things that mean a lot to me mm. um i think i've in the past six years or so, I've taken on a couple projects, but literally four. I've had four routes in my life that I was like, this is really important to me. This may, like, I will do this no hmm. matter how much it takes and, and like fully dedicated to the cause. I think consequently, all four of those routes, once they were this like mythical thing that meant way more to me because of that it like mentally blocked me into like spending way more time on any of them that then like i could have could have done them more quickly had oh, okay I, had I been interesting. less in my head interesting huh yeah and I, yeah i mean it was cool because i was like so motivated by them but i think that led to me just failing a lot mm. along with not training yeah if, mm. I, if I had trained more effectively, like also would have climbed them faster. Okay. 
So the trade-off is kind of interesting to consider because I'm also grateful for like, that was sweet to epic on that thing that was so cool to me. I'm talking about a real epic, kids. No, I know you like to say I epic. More than two weekends. Took, yeah, exactly. I'm talking about. I fell off the last move 30 times. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't count the days that I wasn't getting to the last move. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. I don't know. Even that's like not that epic, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a couple seasons or something like that, but. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's one of my biggest goals for this year, 2021. Hmm. I make little goals also for myself. They're, yeah. They're usually like pretty broad and like whatever, slightly like hippie-ish goals or something like that. Okay. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have some examples? <laughs> yeah. So like my big goals for this year were like be present and be like in this moment mm. all the time, no matter what. Oh, those are great. Um surrounding climbing and life i think those, mm. those like you know they they carry over from like not just climbing goals but they're just kind of like this is my focus for the year or whatever so that was one of them and then the other one climbing specific was like enjoy embrace and like practice the art of projecting mm. um so again i was like i want to like i'm getting a little bit older and there's like a couple routes that would be cool to do and like okay i've tasted this experience project in a few times i don't always like it actually mm. um yeah but it is neat to see something through that means something to me and i'm just not usually good at it usually i can hit this this mark in my like process with something that's difficult for me where i will just struggle to see it through man and that is this mostly with sport climbs or also with boulders Mm, probably more with sport climbs, but I also just haven't been bouldering quite as much in the past mm. seven or eight years or something like that. I still do it every year and, you know, seasonally, but it's somehow become a little bit less of my, like, focus as far as, like, pushing myself. Um, I think part of that stems from like harder boulders are just kind of hard, man. Like, <laughs> like they're just not always super pleasant. There's like yeah. smaller holds, and so like conditions become crucially important. Yeah, and skin, and I'm kind of heavier, and that just I don't know. It makes it worse. I don't know. <laughs> Those are just excuses, really. And and I bet it would also change depending on where I was living, and yeah. Um, you know, I, I love bouldering, like, without a doubt. It's still, like, it's the most fun way to go climbing for me. Um, but I do, like, not focus as much on it anymore. <laughs> I still like to be able to go out and climb something that's kind of hard for me. But, like, I kind of have capped it at, like, V12 forever. <laughs> I've, like, huh. I've, like, climbed some V13s or whatever. But, like, it's not in, I'm not, like, driven to, like, I got to do another one, man. Okay. Like, I think climbing's always been never about this grade. It's been about the climb. Mm. And so I usually d I shy away from, like, wanting to do a number. Um, and it's neat to do something challenging for myself, but that can be, like, V9, hmm. you know, even though I can climb harder than that in theory or whatever. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me to see that like okay, for 
16 years or whatever, I've been climbing like double digit boulders or something like that. And I've climbed like hundreds of them. And I haven't really lost that. Even if I don't boulder that much, I, I think it's like a mental thing. Huh. I'm like, oh, like V11, I should be able to do that. And so I can do it. Hmm. Because I believe I can do it. Hmm. Um, and that concept, I've, you know, whatever. I've learned from my own experience. I've learned from, like, watching kids that I coach that I think that mental component, it's it weighs more heavily than we, like, think or hmm. than we give it credit for. Um, so, yeah, it's funny to, to, like, have that mindset of, like, oh, I could probably do that. I've done it before, like, hundreds of times, right? Right. And so am I actually like weaker than I used to be? Heck yeah. <laughs> am I a little bit more out of tune with bouldering than I used to be? Like for sure. Hmm. Um, but I'm also a better climber. I'm a smarter climber. I like have, I, I don't know, I have more understanding and more patience for like the process or whatever that means. And so that's part of it too experience over, yeah over strength <laughs> i want to dig into some questions about about your coaching and things you've learned from your kids and some of the you know some of the ways that you pass on all the stuff we've been talking about to your kids uh -huh. but um to kind of frame that how did you come to momentum and um who are some of the who are some of the kids that you coached like what are some of the names that most of us or a lot of us would recognize mm-hmm that have been on your teams yeah oh man that's quite the scape yeah i i ended up going moving to salt lake city um by default again i was in tahoe i was kind of like i want more sport climbing in my at my fingertips i felt sort of funny about the small community in tahoe and for whatever reason i i was just like uncomfortable there um and I think that I just have the tendency to do that sometimes. If I get uncomfortable with something, whatever it is, I, I can quickly be like, I need to change. Mm. Um, I need to move. So I was kind of like not really sure what to do with myself. And I was thinking I was going to move back to Washington, back to my roots. Um, and I was like, well, I'm closer to Utah right now, being in Lake Tahoe. And I was like, there's a few boulder problems there I would really like to do. And so before I move back to Washington, I'm going to go there on a, a trip and like do these things, try to do them. <laughs> uh, and one of them was a boulder problem that I had like theorized and I had built this weird landing for like a previous year on that big road trip I went on. And Where I, was this? It's in Joe's Valley. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a climb that I finally ended up doing. I called it Lex Luthor. Okay, it's on the Superman boulder. It starts on Superman and climbs leftward, but uh, it's becoming a notable climb in Joe's. <laughs> People climb it now. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I'll try to find a video of it. Yeah, yeah, they're out there. Um, and so I came to to Utah just on a climbing trip, and I. I was actually trying that Lex Luthor thingy, and I hurt my pinky really badly. I, like, hmm. did something to a pinky tendon, <laughs> which anytime someone hurts their pinky, I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was one of them. Um, and it wasn't that bad, but it was bad enough that I couldn't do that boulder. 
And so I was like, kind of like, well, shoot, is my trip over? Do I just bail? And then I thought, I'm going to wait it out. I'm going to try to rest and see if I can heal this thing and I can do this climb before I leave. So <laughs> I had a bunch of time. I had enough money saved. So I was like, I'll just hang out for a little while. And I went back to Salt Lake City. I had some friends that lived there. And uh, I was just hanging out for a few days, like trying to heal and walking around Little Cottonwood, looking at other boulders and found another one there that I was like, I'm not leaving till I heal and I can do this. <laughs> and, uh, and so tooled around for like, I don't know, probably like four or five days where I was just like being in a new city to me and like maybe even considering like, could I live here? Hmm. Um, and that week momentum happened to be opening their new Mill Creek at the time location and I was just sitting in the park one day, literally just passing time and was like, I wonder what's up with their youth climbing team. Like, I would like to coach climbing again. And so I went into the gym and I talked to my friend Stephen Jeffrey, who was like mm. in their setting, even though that like the floor wasn't even laid yet. <laughs> um, but he was in their setting routes and he came down off the lift and he was like, oh, what's up, man? And like, I asked him about the team and he was like, I'll put you in touch with Jeff Pedersen. He's the owner. He, he'll be psyched to talk to you. And so I met with Jeff and he was like, yeah, man, we're actually losing a coach soon. Like, do you want a guest coach this week? And we'll like, see if it's a good fit. Hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. So I guest coached for one day and thought, okay, I, I like this team and like, I could see doing this. And, uh, then I guess coached for like another day and then like another week and I didn't have anything else to do. So I was totally happy to like go to the gym and like integrate as this, like, I think I'm going to do it. I think I, I would like to coach this team. And, uh, and, uh, Jeff was still actually coaching at the time. And then they had another guy named Austin Lee coaching their younger kids. Um, Austin now owns the Kaya company that most oh, okay. gyms use. So yeah, cool. yeah, he was like really into coaching and like all the data behind it. And uh, he has a lot of like great energy that he brings to the coaching realm. So he was actually moving and that's who I would maybe replace. Um, and then quickly Jeff was like, dude, you got this. I'm going to step away because hmm. like momentum's growing. Like I can't coach the team anymore. And so... I got to step into the head coach realm of like both teams and uh, among those ranks were like uh, Dalton Bunker was on that older team and Palmer Larson and uh, Nathaniel Coleman, um, Ben Tresco, all these kids that were like next level, like they were like national competitors and like national finalists. Um, so my original thought was like, I was pretty intimidated actually to step in and be mm. like, dude, I don't know anything about comp climbing, like in the scheme of things. Yeah. It's so interesting. I knew a little bit, but yeah. I was like a rock climber through and through. I barely gym climbed. I knew about training, like the science behind it, not specifically toward climbing. And it, I just had a lot a lot a lot of love for climbing and for like what it did for me in my life and i knew i liked coaching climbing so 
it was it took me like a couple days to like integrate into those guys world a little bit mm. um again i was like oh i don't know what to like am i going to be able to teach them anything um and then i i just was like well i'm here and i'm like so stoked on being in this role and being a coach and, and i was i was like all-time psyched and i was like at the comps i volunteered a lot i like dove into it and i learned pretty quick that i was like at least my perspective and my experience as a climber is something that those kids haven't uh, experienced or been exposed to quite as much. So, mm. like, maybe I do have something to teach them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was cool to go through a couple years worth of maybe not being sure of that and then coming out on the other side and being like, I think I did, like, have something valuable to show them. Yeah, and I don't I'm smiling because you know, of course, Nathaniel Coleman's going to the Olympics, so he is. He turned out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he turned out he turned out really well. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was really fun to like work with guys that are like next level. Yeah, um, that have like the gift, and they've put in like the time to see that through. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm really curious. I mean, thinking back on your own climbing and maybe maybe wishing that you had trained during off seasons and made better use of that time, but then also, you know, having carried so many positives and benefits from this kind of pure, just like do what is exciting and what's fun, you know, having benefited yourself from that. How do you how are you thinking about like paying that for? Or I guess not currently, but at that time with momentum, how are you paying those ideas forward to your kids and, and how are you thinking about coaching them and, and training versus just like teaching them how to stay in love and, and sure. fall deeper in love with the sport? Yeah. I think I shied away from the training aspect a little bit and really tried to lead by example as far as this is this other side of climbing that you know, it's not part of this competition realm or this gym climbing world. Um, I don't like to be a pushy coach. I like to say this is your journey mm. um, and this is something that you're going to have to have feelings for and about as an athlete, as a climber. Um, I don't think there's a right way to do it. There's not like you should climb like this you need to climb outside to be that you should train more than not like that to me is is just kind of bogus because it's again it's every everyone's different everyone's experience with any avenue of climbing is gonna be and feel different to them hmm. and so for me as like it's all about being out there and like this experience and just like whatever like being and feeling like positive toward what I'm investing my time and energy into is just important to me. So if I could pass that mentality on, I thought that that would carry over into anything mm. versus whether it be comp climbing, whether it be climbing outside, whether it be going to school well, mm. or like working a job well, if we can like bring, if we can like shift our perspective into a spot that's like healthy happy positive then like what can you produce from that 
that was like a, a fascinating concept to me that coaching really made me think about and consider and like dive into myself and want to like share that with people. Hmm. And so maybe that was like more my focus as a coach was like developing, I guess like at least trying to navigate life in a way that we could like learn and grow from <laughs> and and myself included you know like if i'm i don't have all the answers i never did <laughs> and so uh trying to like navigate how everyone is different and how this is what you need or how this is what you want versus the person next to you that's like an effective coach i think it's not mm. like here's the workout you do these five things all right go forth it's like so much deeper than that and mm. there's so many more layers to it based on like where you're where are you at today like how are you feeling today how do you feel right now before this attempt like how do you feel at the competition how do you feel after the competition like what where is your motivation like all those things are are the bigger side of climbing that like don't make as much sense maybe as like do this many sets and reps mm. climb this grade be fitter you know like <laughs> yeah the the more intangibles yeah, yeah yeah it's so not tangible i think the the wide spectrum of climbing mm -hmm. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and so i don't know like maybe it's just all like bogus and stuff but <laughs> <laughs> maybe it should be more tangible <laughs> but it seems like you've had an incredibly positive impact on these kids so um so yeah. i wouldn't say that it's all bogus <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I mean yeah maybe not all of it <laughs> what, what are um i am curious i mean we've had some conversations at the cliff about uh about just the incredible differences you observe amongst different athletes like how mm -hmm. differently they train some kids that train multiple times every day and then others that train day on day off and, mm -hmm. and not that many hours mm -hmm. um and and getting the same results um across the board are there any kind of deeper themes that you've noticed in in the athletes that you've coached that have been the more successful or continued to improve over the years yeah, there's certainly themes and patterns, um, and there's also just tons of diversity there. Hmm. Um, again, everybody's different, everyone's motivation is different, and just what we can produce as our output, I guess, as individuals is so different. So for some people, it's, yeah, train minimally, and uh, I don't I don't know how to scientifically explain, like, for instance, Nathaniel tends to train, at least when I was coaching him, he tended to train a little bit less than most of his, like, other kids that he was, like, matched with or competing against. And he was really kind of aware of maybe what he was bringing to his training that day in a way that like i really admired so hmm. i think climbers tend to as a whole um tend to do too much all the time because we're like slightly neurotic about i need to get the training in i'm getting weaker mm. even though it's like no you're not you <laughs> trained all last like it's, it doesn't go away that fast mm. um and maybe we like sandbag ourselves by 
doing that, you know, whatever. You can easily go into overtraining or undernourishing because you're just stoked to do so. Um, and I thought that was really admirable to, to watch him as like this, you know, he's like a next level athlete. He's like far better than most people. Mm. <laughs> and I think that a lot of his like superpowers come from like his headspace, huh. like his confidence and his just perception of like, this is the moment and this is how I'm gonna manage it. Um, I think he's better at that than most people that I've seen, hmm. especially in competition, yeah. Hmm. So I, I like admire the heck out of the fact that he can show up to the crag and maybe not put his shoes on that day because he's just not feeling it. Wow, Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, and he's definitely changed and evolved as a climber and he his training is very different these days as he's going into the Olympics and he has like taken on a new perspective on that. Um, and it's really cool to see how it's working, you know, hmm. to like, you know, I, I love like paying attention to the way that people climb, the, especially ones that I get to work with and to s try to observe and like figure out like what are they like bringing to their performance on the wall? You know, their everything from their upbringing, from their life to the like baggage that they carry. Like, how does that translate to what we what we do on the wall? Hmm. Um, and that's again, it's different for everybody, you know, but he's, yeah, he's a special athlete for sure. And, and like, you know, the complete opposite was, was coaching Dalton Bunker, who started as a rock climber. He then entered the realm of competition climbing as like a far less experienced climber and like whatever comp athlete than mm. those other guys but also had just his own like very deep intrinsic motivation to climb and to always improve for himself, whatever that meant. Um, so his climbing and approach was just way different than most people's where he was like climbing 17 days in a row. Wow. Um, <laughs> and he was, you know, he, he was really good at it cause he'd like go to the American fork and try his project like twice. And then that would be his climbing day. Hmm. And then, like, the next day or that night, he'd, like, come to the gym and, like, go to practice and, like, train super hard and do all the exercises that I was like, you guys should do this. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, way different than, like, Nathaniel, who would, like, come to practice and then rest the next day and then come to practice hmm. and then rest for two days. Um, so I, I think for me, I was like, man, maybe we should all rest a lot more. Cause hmm. like he's doing it, <laughs> <laughs> but I was more like the Dalton and we would both kind of fuel each other's like motivation to climb more by being like, <laughs> yeah, dude, I've been 19 days on. What about you? <laughs> yeah. I've tape on all my fingers. Yeah. No more skin. No, I would try to stay above the line, you know, mm. like climb every day, but in that Dalton <laughs> fashion of like, I did a lot of go out to little cottonwood make two trips with the pads, wrap down the boulder, clean it up, chalk it up, maybe do a move on the top rope, and then do the boulder, and then reverse. Hmm. Two trips, pads back down. Like, I barely climbed, you know, but I climb every day. <laughs> hmm. I have noticed that, like, the people 
the people that climb a lot it is these like really focused quick missions yeah. you know i haven't i haven't met many people that climb really high frequency and just like thrash themselves yeah. climbing tons of stuff all the time with you know you meet those people but those people usually aren't the ones that are climbing really hard yeah they're kind of just like spinning their wheels in the mud or they're 17 or they're 17 <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> um here let's pause for a sec i'm gonna it's getting hot it's getting like distractingly hot <laughs> might be a little noisy but screw it pause pause We'll survive. Oh, that is a lot noisier. Oh, well. I'll figure it out with editing. Yeah, can you do that? Can you edit some sounds out? You can, yeah. It's huh. it's amazing what you can do. I've gotten a lot craftier yeah. with the editing. Yeah, I mean, it's admirable that you can run this show out of your van. <laughs> your van house. It's pretty simple, man. This is it. Yeah, I mean, you could take that thing anywhere, right? Yeah. Oh, that feels so nice. That's nicer. Wow. Sending breeze. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's let's see here. I have, uh, I got quite a few listener questions for you, actually. Oh, yeah? And we've covered quite a few of them just in our, um, you know, taking the listeners through the journey of your climbing. Listeners know who I am? They do. I was kind of like, I bet I'm the least famous I don't think climber so. that you've ever interviewed. No way. No way. No. <laughs> I'm like just random dude. I've had a lot of dark horses on the <laughs> like, on the podcast and they're always some of my favorites cuz it's harder to learn about, you know, people like you over the internet. There's just not as much of your life available to yeah. to us, you know, and it's it's um yeah, kind of yeah, this is fun. Along the lines of just whatever beating the system. I always was like, I'm never going to have an 8A paid. <laughs> I don't like to talk about my accomplishments. <laughs> and again, that was just stemmed from like, it's the experience that matters to me. Mm. And like, what? who am I trying to impress? Like, this isn't my job. Like, it doesn't matter what I climbed. Like, why would anyone even care? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, you've mentioned that a few times now, the the beating the system thing. Like, what does that mean to you? I get it. <laughs> But I want to hear you. Oh, man, that means a lot to me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just like a not the normal path, right? Mm. So the normal path maybe is like train, get stronger, be better, climb the thing faster. Mm. But I think you miss out on a lot of chances to climb the thing because you're in the gym instead. Mm. And then you're resting for a day after the gym sesh. And then, yeah, maybe you climb the thing in less days, but maybe I climbed it first because I was out there for 10 days just trying it while you were getting strong enough to do it. And so my beating the system, quote unquote, is just like, a I don't know, it's mostly just fun to kind of be like, yeah, there's this other way and i'm not the strongest like not even close i'm like not strong actually i just try more than most people hmm. and i exercise patience and the power of the psych you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that idea i do kind of train now sometimes so i'm yeah I'm, what have I'm you pretty stoked on taking that on a little bit I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut the main door. Oh, for just... We can leave this. This is serious talk here. Well, there's like a there's like a leaf blower in the distance. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here. Yeah, that's... You're more sensitive this, to it this than is I. A good, this is a good compromise. Um, 
Yeah. What are some of the training things that you have integrated? Yeah. So I always shied away from training traditionally in the traditional sense because I wanted to have more energy for climbing outside. Mm. Um, every time I would dabble in training, I would probably go a little too hard, too fast. And then I'd be so sore for like a week that I would just not <laughs> be able to climb. And, uh, <laughs> Gotcha. It's funny because you talk to these like, you know, World Cup or, or like serious competition athletes and some of them say the complete opposite. They're like, mm. I don't like to climb outside because it thrashes my skin and then I'm like wrecked for a week and I can't train. <laughs> right. And I'm like the total opposite. I'm like, dude, I trained once and then I couldn't walk normal for like a week <laughs> and my core hurt too badly. And so... Whatever, I would still go climbing, but it just didn't feel as nice. Um, but there was this, like, insanely important route to me that I wanted to do that, you know, it was legendary route for me because I saw a video of it on, like, Climb... Or no, it was on that Momentum Video magazine site okay. that Mike Call used to run. Nice. And, uh, and I saw this video years ago. I still live in Washington. And I was like, dang, that's next level. Like, that. what if I could climb 514 someday? That would what be is, sick. What's the climb? It's called the all-around routine. It's, mm. in, it's in Ibex. And I, I loved the story of it. I loved why it was named that. I loved what it looked like. And it was this, like, unattain like 514. That's not in the cards for me um, at the time. And then when I moved to Utah, I was like, dude, I live close to these two things that were legendarily like someday I want to at least try that. Um, the other climb was the bleeding in, mm. in Mill Creek Canyon. Mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of funny. I just I, I like literally woke up one day and, and was like, whoa, those two climbs are in the state like I could go try them. Mm. And uh <laughs> And so I, I did, I like took that all around routine thing on and it's like a shenanigans climb. It's two pitches off the ground where it starts. Okay. It's in the middle of nowhere. Like Ibex is a three hour drive from Salt Lake. And then it's this monster, like 40 meter long climb. There's nine bolts on it. So whoa, Chris Lindner and, and Tim Kempel bolted it uh -huh. in a long time ago. Maybe they bolted it in like 2005 or something. I think Chris Linder made the first ascent in 2007 or something like that. It was on the cover of a climbing magazine in 08. Mm. So it was somewhere in that realm. Um, but I, I went out there one random November day and, and rap. I was like, okay, I heard you got to go to the top. You got to wrap in. You got to like check it out, put the draws on it. And... <laughs> I just love that kind of adventure stuff. So I went out there by myself. I like went to the top. I found the rappels down to like get to the anchor. It's kind of scary, actually. I bet. Um, yeah. And then I actually got stuck on the wall that day and almost oh. like epic. <laughs> yeah, it was it was scary, man. Because I I wrapped in with like <laughs> an ATC, and in hindsight now, I'm like I would never do that this way again. What would you do instead? I would fix the rope on the anchor and I would wrap in on a single line and I would jug back out yeah. and, and okay. repel. Okay. Yeah. So I just didn't know what I was doing enough. Mm. And I was dumb. And I <laughs> I wrapped on an ATC <laughs> and, with two rope strands. And it was so steep after you wrap over the lip um, that I like clipped both of my rope ends through the draw. Mm. 
And then I like did that again, like a few times throughout just to like directional myself through. And I was just gripped the whole time. I was like, dude, I'm way up here. This is so scary. And it's just got an eerie thing about it. I was out there by myself. There literally wasn't anyone else out there. And, uh, I got down to the anchor and I couldn't pull the rope. It was stuck. Whoa. Yeah. And so I was like, uh oh. <laughs> and I was like, considering free soloing out, I was considering down free soloing. I was like, stuck. And then eventually <laughs> I I tied myself to one end of the rope and the belay is kind of on this ledge. And I was, I just started like jumping off the ledge with what? the rope. And, <laughs> and, uh, I could pull it like an inch at a time. <laughs> Yeah, with like my full body weight, <laughs> and I and I finally got it down, and it was oh man, it was such a relief. It was cool. So that was my first taste with the all around routine, and mm. I I was like, that's a special climb. I I want to try it, and and uh, anyway, I'm, I'm I'm getting too carried away with this long story, but uh, <laughs> I I really wanted to do the route at the time only. Chris Lindner had done the first ascent, and then Ethan Pringle did the second ascent. I think, I think years later, something like that. And then Jonathan Segrist did the third ascent. So, mm. and that was it. So I was like, dude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invest. I'm gonna be the first non-pro climber to do this, <laughs> and I'm gonna be the oldest person to do this route. <laughs> and to me, that was just a fun game, fun element, uh-huh. and. Uh, and it was, it's hard for me, especially hmm. like I, it took me a lot of work. And so I tried it for two full seasons, like a spring and a fall. Couldn't do it. Not even really close. And then I was like, I got to, I got to train. Like, I'm going to try it and train, do this route. <laughs> so I took on training for that off season and I did a lot. I, I kept a training journal. That was kind of the first time I had really like committed to a training cycle and i did all sorts of stuff like i was a coach i knew what to do i didn't consult with someone i was just like i think i should do this 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 and this and i didn't break my stride with climbing and i trained a lot i like Mm. lifted i did a lot of gym route climbing Mm. i did some gym boulder climbing um and i just climbed outside like i normally would so I was looking back at my training journal through that period the other day, and I was like, I cannot believe I did that. Like the amount, the volume? like the volume, and just, I was like, how was I that strong compared to Hmm. today? (laughs) Um, And so that was neat to to see, and I was so glad that I had kept track of it to look back, because I kind of forgot. I was like, I didn't remember that I was doing that much. It's amazing how quickly you can get can forget yeah. all that stuff yeah yeah totally you don't keep notes <laughs> and i so i came back to the route i trained i'm gonna do it and i didn't quite do it that season i got really close but i didn't get to try it very much that season i think i only got to try it 10 10 attempts hmm. that whole fall season um because it was just logistically logistically challenging hmm. i had trouble finding belayers i had like my own crazy like headspace issues and i like really was struggling with my self-worth and stuff and i Mm. and i that made it harder for me to 
ask someone to go out there with me and like belay me on this thing that took a lot of effort and stuff is the weirdest thing i don't I look back i'm like why was i even considering that hmm. anyway that's a whole nother issue yeah no that <laughs> I, that makes sense i mean it's um it feels like a big ask yeah to have someone come out and support you on something that's logistically challenging when you're not a pro climber when it's you know it's not yeah. a new route it's already been done it yeah you sure. feel the like the insignificance of it all yeah. <laughs> a little bit more acutely no 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 first non-pro ascent bro <laughs> <laughs> don't discredit <laughs> i'm just kidding yeah that was that F was fnpa an, yeah <laughs> that was an interesting aspect for me to like whatever another crux to add to like hmm. this route that was really difficult for me um and then but i learned a lot from that training cycle and i looked back over it and i was like okay what did i do wrong what could i do better what do i need to do next year to like do this thing hmm. um so i narrowed my i did another training cycle and i narrowed my focus a lot and i totally axed climbing on rocks whoa so i the first time in my life first time in like whatever that was at the time i guess i'd been climbing for like 16 years and that was the first time i ever was like i'm not gonna go rock climbing i'm hmm. just not gonna and i think i went like five or six times or something throughout two months hmm. but that was like two, like the least i had ever rock climbed and it was the most i had ever like gym climbed and I completely changed my focus for that cycle, and I did a very dedicated hangboard routine that wasn't extremely gnarly. Hmm. It was like a pretty progressive repeater program. Um, so I guess what I recognized of like, what I need to do this route is either be a little bit stronger or a little bit more fit. Hmm. Um, the way that it breaks down is for me, it was a 75 move long, like 13A-ish climb or something. Maybe 12D once you'd climb it like a whole bunch of times. <laughs> um, that was like sort of restful to this like kind of funny knee bar rest that wasn't like amazing. Um, but it's pretty good. That was like the first time in my life that I was like, I'm wearing a knee pad. I don't care. I need it. <laughs> and uh and now that's changed and I will s gladly wear a knee pad. But, <laughs> but at the time that was notable. And then, so from that point, then it's a 30 move long sequence of like, I don't know. I, I was like, it's either like two V8s or like a 30 move long V10 or something for me. Hmm. That's what it felt like. Hmm. Um, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that was notable, you know, a 30 move long hard sequence. There's a good hold in the middle of that, but I couldn't rest there because I felt like I was too tall. <laughs> like Whoa, okay. My foot was like too high. Mm. And so ultimately I decided like I need to not stop there. I need to just chalk my hands once and keep going. Mm. Um, so that was what made me think I need a little more like endurance, finger endurance or... I need to be way stronger so that this like boulder problem at the top is not hard for me. So I shifted my focus into like do fingerboard repeaters and just boulder as much as I can. Cause if I, like, I don't need to do any route climbing. Hmm. Like I, I recognized that like more power is better and strength 
is going to help me more and I can get fit in like two weeks on just like whatever climbing routes yeah 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 so my plan that season was like dedicate to this training program don't rock climb for two months boulder and set routes as much as possible fingerboard and hmm. I did a couple lifts okay yeah uh not much so training program was like way simpler that season that is really simple yeah yeah and then i finished those two months and i was kind of like okay i planned to be able to start trying it in april and it was a weird year it was kind of too cold that season and so i was like waiting for it to warm up and i strategically was like <laughs> exiting my job kind of at momentum at the time i was like stepping down as the head coach I like passed that off to my really good friend Palmer, um, who coached alongside me for many years, and it was just that chapter of life that I was like, I'm I have to leave that right now um, for a number of reasons, but uh, but I worked that into this plan to like climb this rock climb. So I like was exiting my job. I had all this free time. I came to St. George to like integrate back into rock climbing while I waited for the route to be warm enough to try. And I like, I remember my first day back in the rock after training a bunch and not rock climbing. And I was like, maybe that didn't work. I feel awful. Huh? Like I had no flow on the rocks and I was like, what am I even doing? Like, <laughs> I think I like fell on the warm up that day or something. Whoa. And was like, what a trip. yeah, I was like, dang, that's, that's not good. <laughs> and then and then I think by my like second or third day on rock that week, I had a moment of like I was climbing up the black and tan crag, which mm. is kind of hard and bouldery and like little holds and I was on this route that I like I grabbed these two nasty holds and and I was like I'm I can't move. But wow, it feels like I can hold on forever. Hmm. And that was like the moment that I was like, I think the training did work. Mm. And then a couple more days of climbing and I was like, oh yeah, like I'm definitely stronger than I've ever been before, which was cool because I was not young <laughs> and I felt stronger than I had ever felt before. How old were you at the time? Uh, this was in 2019. Okay. So... Like 36? Yeah. Okay. Ish. Ish, yeah. yeah. I think I was trying to send the route before my 36th birthday. Okay. And then I didn't. <laughs> but I did it shortly after. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you get the FNPA first non-pro so, ascent? So in my effort to try to do the thing and like whatever con people into going to try it with me. Uh-huh. I went through like, you know, all my team kids by nature. Oh. <laughs> Because to me, that was, like, awesome to share that with them and to, like, <laughs> whatever. They know they knew what to do. They knew the ways. But, like, to show them that, like, this is, like, what I'm doing for, like, my whatever. This means a lot to me. Yeah. Like, will you be, cool. like, a part of that process with me? Um, it was super, like, probably way more special, like, for me to share those moments with them than it was for them. <laughs> But you never know. I don't know. Um, I'm sure it left an impression. I'm sure yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. So I, I conned Palmer into going out there a lot with me. I conned Dalton into going out there a couple times with me. And uh, he's just a lot better. So he, <laughs> he actually did the route. <laughs> but 
Dalton's kind of a pro. Uh huh. So, uh huh. Yeah. So like, whether you consider him that or not, does he get paid to rock climb? No, but he's like kind of a pro. Uh -huh. and so I, I kind of was like, well, <laughs> I still maybe got the first non-pro ascent, and I at least got the oldest. There ascent. you go. <laughs> and no one else has tried it since then. So, nice. Yeah. Sweet. So I kind of wondered. I thought this would be the season that people would like take it on and like I was like everyone's going to do it this year. Hmm. Um and everyone meaning like <laughs> team kids that I that I coach that are now like team men. Team men. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, or women. I don't know if any of the the women would have taken that one on yet. Hmm. But soon. Um, <laughs> but I did think that, you know, some of my my good friends would have been like this uh, let's go do that thing <laughs> if for no i mean whatever it's an amazing climb it's mm. the, for sure the coolest thing that i'll ever climb in my life damn yeah to me wow that yeah. is one hell of a statement right there yeah well dude it's the all-around routine <laughs> which you know for reference chris lindner said in that old video like my dad was a competitive gymnast and the goal was to have an all, the all-around routine mm. to be exceptional in every event in gymnastics, right? Mm -hmm. And he said the route has everything. It's got, you know, big runouts. It's got endurance. It's got power. It's got power endurance. It's got this long section at the top that's hard. It's, you mantle the cliff and you, like, Whoa. top out. It's, it's got every type of hold imaginable. There's even a crazy hand jam. Huh. That you like, at least I, my beta was like, slam the hand jam and then like walk my feet up and a knee bar against my arm that was in the hand jam. Whoa. To clip a draw. <laughs> and then you like proceed into the hardness or whatever. But <laughs> but it's got all the things and it's just weird. It's in a weird spot. It's like really unique rock and the holds are all like really cool and different. And oh man it's it's like i get like emotional thinking about it <laughs> you can hear it in your voice and yeah. you're definitely selling it there yeah. might be some more sense after this there might be out yeah we'll see <laughs> i left draws on the crux nice don't try it without going to the top and wrapping in <laughs> so another fun story is that no one that i took out there including myself made it to the top before going to the top to wrap in and like find the holds wow <laughs> And I had even gone to the top and like chalked it up and tried moves, and then I still couldn't make it to the top for my first few efforts, hmm. um, except for Nathaniel made it to the top without hmm. without going to the top. <laughs> yeah, he actually like flashed the boulders. Wow. He like took in the middle of it, but he like flashed the two boulders, and <laughs> I was like, "Well, you could certainly do it." <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was notable that he, he made it through. He got to the top. And he didn't send, but he took the victory whip just for fun. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So in that old video of Chris, he jumped off the top. And okay. Sort of set the stage of like, I got to do that nice. also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nine bolts in 40 meters. Yeah. That's they, pretty spicy. They weren't generous. I think that they were just trying to... <laughs> make you know just keep it this really neat and the that's cool first section that's easier climbing is like quite spaced mm. um and then as you get into the crux it's not like absurdly run out it's mm -hmm. like normal run out okay um it's not like nearly as bad as like the black bean in Seyus where you mm. climb through the middle part and you're just like 
I'm literally 25 feet above the last bolt. Boy. Yeah, it's different than that, but it's like appropriately bolted. <laughs> mm. And I thought it was like the coolest thing ever, like that. Just added, <laughs> added goodness to me. <laughs> well, that's amazing, man. Thanks for sharing that story. Yeah. Yeah. Story. I'm so, going to have to, uh, had to train, dig up the old video and see if I can, see if I can share that with people. Yeah. Yeah. It was a cool moment. Okay. Let's dive into, I'll just pick like three of these questions cause yeah, we're yeah. kind of, we're kind of getting on in time here, but, um, We've definitely covered some of these. I apologize for people that submitted questions if we don't get to everything. Um, let's do this one. This is a question from Nolan. How does Kyle balance his performance in sport climbing versus bouldering? I don't think I consciously do that, to be honest. That's what, I, I was, that's what it sounds like from this conversation, yeah. Yeah, I definitely just go with the flow a lot of the time, and I sort of wait for these moments that whatever i find a climb that i'm like oh i want to do that sometimes that it's you know years in the making i guess mm. so for instance the all-around routine was years in the making um for golden for a moment up at the cathedral that was years in the making I was oh like, really I, yeah yeah i was like i know i want to do that someday mm. and so like for reference golden i knew i always wanted to do it but i also knew it was going to be like a challenge for me and i had these other two routes that I really wanted to do. And I thought, I don't know how to project well enough <laughs> to like have more than one at a time. Mm. And so maybe I'm learning how to do that better and I should get better at that, like diversifying and having multiple things that I'm like invested in. But for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going to send this one first and then I want to send that one first and then I'll try golden. Mm. Um, so it, it worked out that that was finally this year. Wahoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, th those types of climbs were like years in the making. We're like, oh, I was inspired by that a long time ago. And I just patiently waited till it was the right time to like take it on or whatever. Mm. Um, Do I, you think at all about like maintaining your bouldering strength or anything when you're invested in a sport climbing project? Yeah, a little bit okay. now. And maybe that process with the all-around routine kind of brought that aspect back into the light for me where I was like, I do need to be X level of strong for me to climb these routes that are difficult for me. Mm. Um, and it's easy to like, once you go into sport climbing project mode for me, I just slowly like lose strength and fitness until I either stop trying it or I do it. Mm. Um, I, I do think that I, I would like to find a better balance between sort of training through the process of like doing these things. And I guess like normally I'm not of the mindset of, I want to perform right now in any realm, you know? Like I think that happens naturally for me where like I'm just out there doing the thing and like climbing on boulders or whatever because it's winter and I need I feel like I need to get stronger so I'll climb on boulders I kind of just listen to how I feel or whatever I'm, I'm not like all right in the month of whatever January through <laughs> March I will boulder this much mm. you know um I always have things that I'm like I haven't done that and that's cool to me like I'll put that on the list you know these are the things I maybe want to try um but I don't not as good at like, these are my goals. That's what I'm trying. 
definitely more like go out there with my friends and like yeah. tool around. And then and then I usually find something that I'm like, oh, I like that a lot. I'd, I'd really like to see that one through. Yeah. And so this last winter was an example of that like tail end of like COVID times. And I was kind of like vibed out by being around people and the crags around St. George were kind of crowded. So I was like, I'll just go bouldering at these weird spots that like for sure nobody's going to. And I found one that I was like, ooh, I want to do that. So mm. I kind of invested, it took me like seven days or something to do that one. And and uh, that's like the perfect scenario for me that like I was just out there like doing whatever because it was fun and in a cool spot. And, and then I found something that was motivating enough to me to be like, I'm going to come back and keep trying to do this and and this is like the perfect opportunity to practice projecting which was my goal for the year so i looked at that as like this is my training for this route season that's coming up for me and i need to get stronger and this is the best and most fun way for me to do that mm. just like a go bouldering um i consequently found these boulders that were like really fingery and like really good training for the things that i was like excited to try this spring nice and uh yeah so for me that's the perfect scenario of like i didn't have to try i didn't have this thing planned i like found it and the, the cards aligned where like the river is usually high enough that it was like in the way of this boulder problem that i that i liked and uh and it was low enough this year that i got to like climb on it and and the first couple days that i tried it i like couldn't do the moves so well yeah, and that was like abnormal to me too. Like I normally I normally won't try a boulder that I can't do all the moves on like in a day or something. Cuz I just I'm not good at projecting, I guess. Huh. I'll be like that's too hard for me, I guess. <laughs> um, it's funny to hear you say that after all these all these stories of all these uh boulders where you just put in the time and chipped away until you got it done. Yeah, I don't do that as well on boulders. Mm. I usually like get way too excited about something that is probably far below my limit of what I'm like fully capable of, but it's like maybe got consequence or something like that. Mm. So it's got like its own challenge involved that I don't know, like I, I, again, like I got this power of the psych mentality of like, you know, if you follow your motivation and your like heart or whatever, as cheesy as that sounds, that's when you like you know rise to the occasion and do these things that are whatever challenging or or whatever inspiring and most of the time that i spend on boulders it's like this is so neat to me i can't not do it and it becomes less about being physically challenging for me and more about just i can't help it mm. i like just go and do it and <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It, it's not like a, it's not something I usually like work on or am conscious of, if that makes sense. Mm. So I don't balance my performance, <laughs> really. I, I I like really try flow. to practice patience and I try to just follow my, my intrinsic motivation, like wherever that is. Mm. That's yeah. cool. I'm trying to learn. I'm like leaning a little bit more that direction mm -hmm. and I'm, similar to you i'm like hoping i can beat the system yeah yeah because <laughs> that approach is really fun actually yeah. and it's nice to 
I'm kind of letting go of this pressure for once of feeling like I have to check all the boxes. I have to do all the maintenance when I'm, yeah, you know, when I'm not in a training phase. And uh, I don't know. It doesn't really seem... I don't know how much it matters. Like I've seen a lot of people talk to a lot of people doing this who just fully immerse themselves in what they're excited about for now. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about anything else. Mm -hmm. And they might drop a little bit, you know, like if Ethan comes to mind, if he's sport climbing, he's not trying to maintain his bouldering power, Yeah, but sure. it comes right back, yeah, you know, and it does. Yeah. Then he sends another V14 or whatever really quick. And yeah. it's like, huh, okay. Um, yeah. That's I don't cool. know. There's a lot of power to that, you know, being in the moment mentality yeah. i think and it's easy to stress out about things as a climber that are like why mm. why would we stress about that and it's easier said than done but like and i'm totally guilty of it you know during certain periods of wherever my head is at i can like fully stress about stupid stuff that's like totally outside of my control like weather and like time and mm. you know what how having a, a partner for like the ideal day or do i have to work the ideal day like all the stuff that's like dude what are you why would you waste your time <laughs> um but that's you know one of the challenges i guess i've got a question from lena this is kind of a more tangible actionable one what are kyle's top three footwork drills for coaching big or small kidlets kidlets it's <laughs> a good word it is Oh man, footwork drills. Yeah, do you, do any come to mind? I like the like beanbag on the foot drill where you just kind of traverse the wall or something with a beanbag on one of your feet or both huh. of your feet. I've never tried um, that. Yeah, it like really forces you to like move slower and to set your feet on the holds rather than like kick them on. Hmm. So like the easy answer is like the silent foot drill, you know, like I don't want to hear your feet touching the wall. This is kind of an extension of that. Um is that something that even someone as good as like Nathaniel would still do or benefit from? Or is this for like younger, newer climbers? Yeah, I probably wouldn't have him put the beanbags on his feet. Um, <laughs> do a run and jump with the beanbag on his foot. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that. That's more Nathaniel Steve. Um, partly I wouldn't have him do that because he's one of the most like technically sound mm. climbers. Okay. Unless, yeah, I don't I don't know. So, so the other like major footwork drill... I think is awesome is is like nothing super special other than like climbing on volumes on like a less steep wall um, hmm. with like not great footholds and just kind of like closer to no hands climbing than than not hmm. um, and so being able to set like little comp simulation type problems and things that really force you to kind of uh, generate all of your movement and your balance from like the midsection of your body like i think if you can learn how to do that then that transfers into climbing on steeper angles and other walls as well hmm. i mean it really takes you away from being able to like pull through things um, so for me that that type of drill is is like invaluable for any type of climber really that, hmm. that doesn't necessarily tailor toward newer climbers or less experienced climbers it's kind of definitely helps the newer climber for sure because it's it's you know totally new and different to them but just understanding like how to angle your feet on a less good foothold and how to like fully have your weight on your feet on 
things that are kind of hard to trust. Like, that seems to work a lot better for me than, like, don't make noise with your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like, repetition, repetition, repetition helps a lot with stuff like footwork drills. Um, do you always have to be conscious of it? Not necessarily. What do you mean? Like, you don't always have to be paying special attention to, like, how are you using your feet? Mm, okay. I think repetition... And more moves means more practice on that. Mm. Um, and so the more times you set your foot on a hold and like use it to generate your movement or to hold your body into the wall, like the more masterful of that skill you're going to become. And it's not as scientific as we, you know, want to want it to be. Sometimes mm. <laughs> it's not like that's you interesting. Need, yeah, you need to do X number of reps of this exercise. Um, maybe like having some level of awareness. And a reminder of that when you're practicing is is helpful for sure. Mm. But utilizing like little footwork drills in your warm up is like really helpful for me, I think. So when you're doing these easy climbs that are far below your limit, that's when you like don't make noise with your feet, set mm. them on perfectly, climb perfectly, repeat it perfectly. Those are like really good, at least from what I've observed, like footwork drills or whatever. Also, climbing boulders with one foot. If mm. you're a little bit of a more advanced climber, that's like really good for your not just footwork, but like learning how to move and learning how to like be more dynamic. And it usually forces you to cut your feet, mm -hmm. um, which is something that, you know, not everyone can benefit from that. The <laughs> average new gym bro like might not need to climb one footed <laughs> but if you're like kind of technically good at climbing like that's an amazingly helpful drill yeah, yeah. maybe like the the granite technician track yeah. climber needs to go into the gym and climb one footed yeah i need to climb one footed hmm. i like to have my feet on the wall hmm. <laughs> cool yeah tyson shared that one too that's oh, something nice. uh that's something I've still, I mean, I just, I haven't been climbing in a gym much in the last year, but that's something sure. I'm really excited to try. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, man. I think that'd be helpful It's kind of like a combo of sort of campusing and mm. it's, yeah, it's just a lot more fun mm. and like probably less impactful and dangerous, honestly. Than campusing? Yeah. Like uh -huh. campus boarding is just, it obviously has its time and its place for some climbers, but it's like also just kind of dangerous mm. depending on who you are. <laughs> totally yeah okay final listener question we have to we have to acknowledge your voice <laughs> <laughs> do we <laughs> in this conversation so i have i have my own questions about this but um i'll just ask this question from evan so evan you know is a buddy of ours that's been hanging out at the whaling wall and he <laughs> writes when is Kyle, and then in parentheses, the voice, going to get his side hustle going as a reader of children's books or guided meditation? <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. So a lot of, you know, like I work at a restaurant two days a week and I, a lot of the people that I like wait on will comment on like, you have a great radio voice and like, yeah, I've got, I've got that all my life. It's kind of funny because I've always hated hearing my voice. And I think, really? yeah, I just think it's like, monotone and and just you know everybody doesn't like hearing their voice i don't yeah, think it's, yeah it is really strange at first you do get used to it yeah which yeah, is you weird. must be a master at this point eventually 
eventually it's really odd how like at first when you hear your voice it sounds weird to you and mm-hmm. it's surprising eventually it sounds exactly the same as when you hear yourself talk huh. yeah that is you just get you get used to it and there's some adjustment that's made and then it just is it's totally normal huh yeah i was just gonna comment on that yeah but i was like it's way different than what i hear yeah when i hear it played back to me hmm. um but whatever, other people like it. So I'm, I've embraced <laughs> that now. And I have thought about, you know, I've looked into being like, maybe I should record audiobooks or something. Because at the very least, I could probably help people fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking at the cliff that I would love to hear a, a rendition of A River Runs Through It read by <laughs> Kyle O'Meara. And I would listen to it every night before bed. <laughs> See, my point exactly. <laughs> But okay, so this is my question. We were talking about this at the Crag, and I was curious. Like, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and mm-hmm. I'm always so impressed by the narrators that can capture different characters of voice mm-hmm. by tweaking their voice. And they're not like it. It's the ones that are really subtle. Sure, you know, you know that a different person is talking in the book that they're reading just with these subtle shifts. They're not overdoing it. Sure. Do you think you could do the different voices? Oh, I think I could do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it would maybe take me some practice, but I think I could do it. Yeah. I have like a little bit of voice inflection. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, I wonder if you'd be willing to share this. You mentioned growing up and having a collection of stuffed animals. Yeah. And how your your parents... Your parents would always, as you're an adult now, they try to get you to reenact the different voices that you would use for your different yeah. stuffed animal characters. Yeah, see, I practiced at an early age, man. I was maybe see, this is part of my destiny, maybe as an audiobook reader. Exactly, it's, I had all these character voices. For, can you can you recall any of those voices? Would you I be willing to share any? Can think about it, man. I honestly haven't even tried. <laughs> For like so many years. Uh huh. Your voice is probably and, a lot deeper now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know. Maybe I'm too embarrassed to even try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally putting you on the spot, so that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I might not be able to do it. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But um, yeah. I do want to say that Evan, um, so his wife actually is an author of children's books. Oh, cool. And my new goal is to get permission from her to get one of her books, preferably a bedtime story, Uh and have you read it and then just put that out on the podcast. Oh, dude, this could be the start. As a completely solo episode for people to This could be the start. Yeah. For me to practice my character voices. (laughs) I'm going to make this happen. If you guys want Kyle to read you a bedtime story on the podcast, let us know. We'll make it happen. What if you get an overwhelming no response? (laughs) I just won't tell you. Okay. I'll just never hear from you again. I guess nobody wanted the story. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen, though. Okay. Final question uh, from me. I think we should probably wrap up here. What is something that you have been feeling especially grateful for lately? Oh, man. What comes to mind? Big question. Man, I'm pretty grateful for a lot of things, honestly. Uh, This has been like a pretty 
Man, 2020 was a weird year, mm. right? Like we, uh, I don't know. I like epicked pretty hard in 2020 with, <laughs> with myself and just where I was at with my own like headspace and, uh, and like I have made a lot of big changes and big growth in that realm in 2021. So for the past few months, I've been just very, very much more self-aware and way more like practicing a lot more self love and self care and self reflection that I really just struggled to even try to do that for the past couple of years. Um, not because I didn't want to. I just literally felt like I couldn't do it. Hmm. And so I think anyone that maybe struggles with headspace can understand or relate to that, to where you your rational mind can say, this isn't real, that's a lie, but I can't not feel that way, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I just had a, I had like some deep struggles in that realm. So this year has, it's been cool, man, to, to, kind of recenter into feeling like I am maybe like a good force like the the version of me that I looked that a lot of people see me in whatever like I I think at least I've been told like I have a reputation of like being positive and having like good energy and um for a couple of years I was like I hated hearing that because I felt so different than that whoa yeah yeah interesting and it was it was weird it was just like this nasty cycle that I was in hmm. and so I don't know exactly what happened I think I just like admitted to myself one day that I couldn't do it by myself and that I'm not able to like wait for this to like change and I don't know why but that started this ball rolling in, in like a neat direction to where I had a lot of like i just recognized that like no that those are just thoughts they're not me and like i am still that that person that like i always wanted to be or that other people saw me as or whatever Hmm. and so i've been like overwhelmed for the last three months with just like feelings of just a lot of good in my life and sharing these like rad experiences and these rad moments with like good friends at the crag this season and like i really feel like i've circled back around to this kind of childlike love that i had for climbing all my life that i'm out here for this reason for these reasons for these experiences and i think it just got a little bit muddled for a couple years to Mm. where it was this thing that I always like used as kind of an escape or a distraction or a a place of like safety that I could be out there by myself and I could whatever be feeling anything but like this was my safe escape and that started to like wear off and I was like still going climbing I still enjoyed it I still had amazing moments here and there but I would have a lot of moments of like this doesn't feel the way that I like it to feel, the way that I'm used to it feeling, if that makes sense. And uh, I think everybody kind of goes through those ebbs and flows of motivation or stoke or whatever for for climbing specifically. My struggle was like life-based and climbing was like my, should have been the mask for that. Mm. And it wasn't feeling that way. So to circle back to this year and, and I, man, I had a couple like, just like magical moments where I was like climbing up this wall and just like 
feeling just so much like love for like the sport, for the activity, for the people I get to share it with, for like the fact that I get to be a coach or like a mentor, like it's, it's like overwhelming to me to like feel that. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's cool. It's been really fun to, to get to know you at the cliff this year. And, uh, I can see that sparkle again in your eyes and it's, it's fun. To, it's fun to meet people that I've run into, you know, years in the past or, you know, like you, I've seen you in the guidebook at, in Leavenworth, in Leavenworth, you know, as a new climber with all this excitement and, and curiosity about the sport myself and to just meet you now and realize like, oh yeah, this guy is such a lifer. Like he's still, you still seem as excited as I remember being when I was 18 or 19 years old running around the forest in Leavenworth looking for these boulders. Yeah. Um, It is true, man. That's the the ultimate gift. Or remember that day we were walking out there talking about our superpowers as climbers? (laughs) Were you there that day? I think so. Yeah. 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 And we were just, yeah, we were talking about like what, what's our superpower as a, as climbers and mine i i identified or i think it is that the, i just like love everything about like i just have a lot of love in my heart in my life for other people for like what climbing's like offered to me and like just the moments that i've experienced in pursuit of climbing i just love everything about it and so mm-hmm. that i think to be able to still feel that much love and adoration for climbing for those moments is like how it feels like a gift for me to be 18 years in and to be like i just still can't quite get enough of it Mm. (laughs) yeah and to be able to share that with other other people and you know friends or kids that i get to coach is like that feels more meaningful and more like just a better like investment of like me and my energy than it does to like invest in trying to climb harder for me or whatever Mm. like that you know again it's it's the experience that matters and the the, that we get to like share that with people is that's like the magical thing about climbing i think Mm. not to be like too romantic about it or anything (laughs) but like (laughs) that's just part of what i love about it you know yeah (laughs) amazing man well thanks so much thanks for sharing all your stories and uh, thanks for sitting down it's been really fun yeah, thanks for having me. This yeah. is my debut my with my pleasure. radio voice. So <laughs> see how it goes. Here's to a bright future. If I'm coherent enough to, you know, pass. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. It's been super fun hanging with you from after all those years we met in Bishop many years ago. I think we decided it was 2012 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so, I think so many years on from then. Yeah. I feel the same age. So, same. so I, do I. Yeah. <laughs> I feel younger if anything. It's, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Me too, for the most part, except for some days. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's to another decade. Yes. Of climbing and fun. Cheers indeed. Cheers, man. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13 Sing one, one, two, three, four Cause, cause, cause No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it